0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 75 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. The voice you will soon hear is my podcast partner, Matt Feuerstein. And yes, folks, we if you are listening to us very quickly as it right after it goes up, this is the shortest turnaround time in Through the Years history. We did a little surprise for you. Five days between the last episode and this episode, We this is this is actually Matt's brainchild because Matt was saying, you know, hey, at the end of the last episode, Matt was like, hey, you know, we could probably do this, you know, get, we could probably do another episode in one week. And then I was like, uh, I'll try. And then on when, yesterday, Wednesday, I said, oh, I'm going to finish the show tonight. And, you were, and Matt, again, was like, hey, you want to do this show tomorrow? And... You know, Matt, you—you, you, I think you had a good idea. I could not resist the idea of getting this all done before, right before Punk actually returns to them inside the ring too. We are covering the show where he says he left wrestling right before he returns to wrestling.
1: You know, it's the one of the, the, the benefits of our completely disorganized and lazy uh, scheduling habits is that, yes, sometimes you have to wait a really long time for a new episode. And other times we just shit out one in like five days. So that's what we're doing right now. Um, hopefully it's not shit, but we're doing it.
0: Hey, uh, we, we've never shit it out. We've never shit it out this quickly. This is yeah, not a good con- I have
1: constipation issues, so I, I don't shit things out that easily.
0: <laughs> this is going to be like a good, solid log of a podcast, Matt.
1: Okay. So, 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 this, so, so this is not verbal diarrhea.
0: It's going to go out smooth and clean. Anyway, now that I've grossed everybody out, I am now going to make the incredible rough transition because we are going to have a lot of fun on today's show. I I, I guarantee it, Matt, but we have to talk about something a little well, far more serious. Um, we are recording this Thursday, uh, September the 2nd, and so we are recording this just hours after the news came out that uh Daphne who uh, we, Ring of Honor fans might know her her brief stint here as Lucifer we've covered her run on uh through the years here but i think most wrestling fans would know her as Daphne she's um taken her own life obviously um condolences to her family and friends if any of them happen to be listening um in, it, it's it's uh, it's obviously tragic. I, I don't think we're either of us gonna pretend that like we're huge Daphne. Like I, the little I've seen of Daphne in like WCW and, and, and Ring of Honor, you know, I've always enjoyed her. I've seen a lot of people have kind things to say on Twitter. Like I never disliked her, but I'm not gonna do that thing. Sometimes people tend to do when someone dies, where they all of a sudden act like they're gigantic fans. Like I'm not gonna claim like oh I watch Daphne matches every month. I don't. But I also. I've always enjoyed her when I when I saw her, but what I will, I think, talk about a little bit is depression because people who follow me on Twitter know I joke about depression a lot. I'm kind of playing it up as a joke, but I have definitely suffered from depression in my adult life. Uh, I have known people who have tried to take their own lives in my immediate family and friends. Matt, I know you were talking about this before the show. You said you've actually had people in your life who have succeeded in taking their own lives. Um, what, what I will say about it is something kind of similar to what I said on Twitter, which is, you know, there are a lot of kinds of depression, a lot of reasons to be depressed. There's a lot of levels of depression. Um, Sorry if I'm just fumbling with my words about this because this is just such an important topic. Uh, what I what I will say is that you know depression a lot of times can be a great liar. It can make you feel like. There's no hope when there is actually hope. It can make you feel like no one cares when people do care. It can make you feel like no one else could possibly know what you're going through when there are a ton of people that know what you are going through. I mean if you look on – just search online for like famous people in history who have had depression or suicidal thoughts. Like you, if you have ever been depressed or even thought about taking your own life, you are in great company with a lot of talented people who have accomplished a lot of things. And the one thing, I, one thing I can say is I've known a lot of – well, my fair share of people who have been depressed but have also tried to take their own lives. And I can tell you so many of them, they didn't realize till after they tried to take their own lives what options were available for treatment, how many people cared about them. And so many people who have tried to take their own lives in my own life and just I've heard from anecdotes from other people. They, they, I, I know they've said like they, I've heard this over and over again. They think if I, I'm doing this in a partly for my own pain, but partly because I think everyone I know will be better off if I'm gone. Like I'm unburdening them. It's it's hard for them to know me. Like they'll be happier when I'm gone. And I can tell you, well, I'm sure there's someone in this universe that has felt this way. I can tell you that in all the stories I've ever lived through, all the stories I've ever seen, I have never met a person or heard of a person that was close to someone that killed their killed themselves that wouldn't have done, wouldn't do anything to have them back that wouldn't, you know, if you're thinking that, Oh, like I, anyone in my life that's starting to kill themselves, I would rather stay up all night talking to them, drive them to a hospital, you know, do a million things, have a million heart to hearts, do anything to have them with me rather than lose them. And so I I would just say, if you like, again, I, I guess I'll just end by saying, Depression's a great liar. It makes you think things a lot of times that aren't real. If you think there isn't help, there is help. And I think Matt will have some numbers for people. And if you think that people won't care or will be happy when you're gone, that's probably I almost definitely not true. And I'll tell you right now, if you're a listener of the show and you're ever suicidal and you think no one will care, well, I'll care. Okay. I want every listener we can get. You know, I, I like you just for listening to us. Please, you know, make every effort to reach out before you think about trying something. You know, there is no shame in having depression. There is no shame in having suicidal thoughts. Again, there are a million valid reasons to do so. So please just reach out for help before you reach out for a more permanent solution. Just please.
1: Um, Yeah, well said. I, you know, I'm also, I'm not going to obviously talk so much about, about you know the circumstances of uh, of Daphne's passing, I it's not my business. For one, I don't know I don't know her. You know, I don't know her family, and I want to res- you know respect their privacy, obviously. But um, you know, just in terms of mental health issues, I, I you know I don't know anyone who hasn't been touched by them in some way, either personally or through loved ones. Uh, and I'm sure everyone here listening has, in one way or another, um, dealt with issues related to mental health. Um, in terms of um you know in terms of suicide you know i don't think there's ever a bad time to mention uh the first of all the suicide prevention lifeline in the United States, which you know you can go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org dot org or call one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five or uh, in Canada they have the crisis services canada dot and you can call for the Canada suicide prevention service at 1-833-456-4566 or send a text to uh 45645 again that's in Canada um and I know that you know countries around the world have their own versions of this which I'm sure you could easily find but um yeah just know like both of us and uh have dealt with this many many times in our lives um whether it's mental health issues or you know suicidal thoughts or people in our lives with suicidal thoughts like it's it's so common it's so universal and you know there are there are things out there that that you can um take advantage of to help you if you're going through something the you know it's never an easy fix you know you're never going to call one person and solve all your problems but reaching out is is the first step to uh to uh, to getting help you know and hopefully you know everybody stays safe and understands you know that they're loved and uh we love all of you our listeners um and uh yeah i don't know what else what else there is to say it's very you know very sad i will just mention about um Daphne like you mentioned she was Lucy in ROH and You know, in the era of ROH that we covered, you know, she, she didn't really appear too many times for the promotion. You know, I'm thinking, yeah, I haven't, I didn't take the time to count, um, before the show, but I'm thinking no more than like four or five appearances, right? And, um, you know, she made a few with punk in the, in the spring of 2003. And then she made one final appearance at the battle lines are drawn. Um, but. One of the major angles of that year was revolved around her you know in absentia, which is um when she went when she signed with w w e she uh she, they, they wrote up the angle where um, she was taken out and punk basically went on a rampage to find who had taken her out and it turned out to be b j Whitmer who then joined the prophecy, which kicked off the prophecy second city saints feud which you know in the shows that we just recapped the finally those that the daniels and punk feud came to an end so you know just um in terms of a figure in ROH, she actually you know did have a, a relatively important role uh, in the company even though she made very very few uh, appearances for them
0: and i know punk just actually put out a tweet today even saying like you know don't feel much like talking about wrestling today you know basically saying what to the effect of what we just said like you know take care of yourself you know things like that so obviously you know he was thinking about it today as well you know having known her um i don't think there's much else to say just we love you people you know stay safe take care of yourself don't be afraid to reach out um So, yeah, but we will do a show. We will have a fun show. Um, First, I guess I've plugged the feeds as usual through the year. I mean, if you want, we have our regular feed through the year. You know, you're listening to one of these feeds. You're listening to the through the years feed, T-H-R-O-H, which is just our show. You're listening to the pro wrestling only feed, which is our show, but a bunch of other great wrestling podcasts from past and present. Or you are listening on YouTube like one of the two or three lunatics that is doing it there. Either way. Now I've told you about the other feeds. So if you want to try a different option, you now know of all the options. So with that, um, we got a couple of things before we get to this show, Matt. There's a couple of things that actually – they're not major things but a couple of news notes off the last show that I had kind of just forgotten or left out in the notes honestly that I, I'm going to read them now especially be, mostly because I think they kind of lead to a question I want to ask you that I probably should have asked at the end of the last show. But the first we'll go to is the Observer – Dave wrote, I saw the tape of the August 13th Dayton and the August 14th Chicago Ridge shows, which were CM Punk's last matches. It's been said before, but the company itself and mainly Samoa Joe, Gabe Sapolsky, Punk, and the various high-level opponents have done a hell of a job building the title. Most titles in pro wrestling and even real titles in boxing or UFC that are won and lost in real competition can't match the aura to the fans that Ring of Honor has gotten with its belt to its fans. It's impressive that they get the emotion in city after city for a product that that has nobody who has had major as in WWE slash WCW TV exposure in a star capacity and with no television. The flip side is it also shows, because they are in the same 400 to 800 level at most shows, just how difficult it is to grow audience without TV, even with so many people that are exposed to independent wrestling through the Internet. The celebration of how James Gibson's win over Punk was handled was exactly what should be done whenever a major title changes hands. It's those little touches that make a big difference. Uh, then we'll go to the PW Torch.
1: Actually, can, I, can of, I just say one oh, thing on. for you? Yeah, go that, on. Go just on. like cause it made me think of something because I'm, you know, I'm not a huge fan of like real combat sports like boxing or MMA. I don't know how big of a fan of them you are, um, but –
0: I'm, I'm 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 I still dip my toe in UFC. I, I was a bigger fan years ago before they started running a gajillion shows. I still yeah. follow and will occasionally watch a show of the UFC. But boxing, I'll watch like maybe very rarely, like a big fight if I'm bored and there's nothing to do.
1: Yeah, in in my limited experience watching them, I have to say it's the, the titles never seem like as big of a deal as like really protected wrestling titles which you know there haven't been that many but there are some and those like the auras of those like big championship matches in wrestling I feel like you know other than like when like you know Muhammad Ali was heavyweight champion and he was you know fighting Joe Frazier or George Foreman or some of the biggest of the Mike Tyson Holyfield fights or you know some of those things I I feel like just your random heavyweight championship boxing match between two fighters who are not crossover superstars or you know even UFC I feel like you know and I'm sure I'm sounding so fucking ignorant but they I don't uh, when I've seen it like other than you know they don't really seem to have the aura the fights that have the big auras you know often just like in wrestling are the fights with the really huge superstars you know like you know like Pacquiao and you know Mayweather or you know whoever you know the people that everyone knows those are big fights because they're big stars but i I don't feel like the championships themselves make stars in the same way that the you know you know does that that make sense like 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 Uh, like 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 the equivalent of somebody who comes along like james gibson and like this idea of him like fighting to win the title and then it's this huge deal when he wins it you know i don't know if there could be an equivalent of that in a you know in in a in boxing or you know even maybe even in ufc
0: I mean, you you think about it. Wrestling has a, a big advantage or and slash disadvantage over uh, in terms of like making titles mean something compared to legit sports. Like the big disadvantage is because in wrestling, you know, you can give a title to anybody. Where in like a major legit competition like boxing or MMA, you have to win it. You know, it titles generally in those sports. Like if you win, it's like oh, this person really deserved it. Well, in wrestling, if you don't book it right, someone could be win a title and not deserve it. But I think the thing. That the advantage that like wrestling has in terms of making titles feel special is, you know, sometimes in boxing and MMA, as you just kind of alluded to, like sometimes, you, you, like those are star-driven sports, and sometimes really boring people in a legit sport can win the title. And if you're booking a, a wrestling promotion properly, like the most entertaining, most talented people should always win the titles, you know. So in that sense, like you know, ne- like there are definitely times like. I, i've spent in my life following mma where there's a title where it's not that even though it's the best fighters in the world are holding that title it, it's not really considered to be that important because the fighters just they don't have good personalities they don't have exciting fights where wrestling if you're doing it right you you should never have that problem you know yeah. like in wrestling you know matt striker doesn't matter how good he, is, you know, how good his legitimate wrestling skills are. Not to pick on poor Matt Striker, he's not terrible. But like, you know, the MMA, in an MMA, the equivalent of Matt Striker could become world champion if he's good enough. In wrestling, if a Booker is smart, he he doesn't ever become world champion.
1: Poor Matt Striker.
0: <sighs> yeah, and he's not the worst. I don't know why. He's just the name that came to mind, and I I, I feel guilty.
1: Matt Striker, if you're hearing this and you are offended. He was talking about the other Matt Striker.
0: <laughs> yeah, now I will never reveal which Matt Striker I was talking. About.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's that's the. So way you know what? It.
0: It, I'm safe. I am completely safe. This is like the true. I was going to say Schroeder's Cat, but no, that's a completely bad – that's not this Yeah, that's, not this, is, that's not this. Yes. Dame Striker, will call this. It's a new scientific thing. It's Dame Striker. All right. Dame um,
1: Dame's <laughs> Striker. I hope I do not forget that in 10 minutes, but I probably will. Um, But yeah, anyway, I'm sure I sound like an idiot talking about combat sports because um, – you know, Tom Feely. You know, you know, don't don't kick my ass when you hear me. Um, but I I just I just in the, you know as a non fan I just got that sense. You know, I'd watch these titles and I'd be like, I don't think the fans really care about these titles the same way that people care about the biggest wrestling titles. I think they they care about the fighters. But you know, I'm perfectly accepting of the fact that I'm almost definitely wrong about that. So
0: no, I I don't think you're wrong. Uh, you know there, there's different facets to look, but I don't think you're wrong. I think you're you're being scared, Matt. You don't need to be scared. You're safe, Matt. You're Thanks. safe.
1: Thanks, buddy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but on, uh, next up, we have a little – just one last thing from the Pro Wrestling Torch. Uh, they write, Gabe Sapolsky tells The Torch he is really proud of the storyline that played out in recent weeks with CM Punk winning the Ring of Honor title and it ultimately ending up in the hands of James Gibson. Quote, the four-way in Dayton, Ohio, was absolutely tremendous and one of the most dramatic matches in Ring of Honor history. It tied together the entire CM Punk as World Champion storyline perfectly. I can't wait for the entire video series of Punk's title reign to come out. I hope people follow it show by show from Punk winning the belt at Death Before Dishonor 3 to the four-way in Dayton. I am really proud of this episodic storyline that went from show to show, and I feel it is easily the best stuff we've ever done. Um, so the thing I, I, I should have asked at the end of the last show that I wanted to kind of use this as a jumping-off point is, like, Matt, obviously we both watched this at the time, you know, but we just finished rewatching it. Like, what do you think – about the whole punk's summer punk storyline. Now that I mean, this show, I guess some people would consider it part of it, but technically, I would say it, the storyline ends in Dayton in the show we just did. Um, like, is, is it as good as you remember? Like, how, where? Like, would you rank this as the best Ring of Honor storyline ever?
1: Um, the best Ring of Honor storyline ever. Like, knowing what I know now, or the best Ring of Honor storyline up to what we've seen on this show. Uh. uh
0: you know either either and obviously ring of honor is not a promotion that was known for storylines so it's not like there's a ton of competition like the things i could think of would be like you know we, we there is one feuds, big storyline coming feuds, up
1: you know like, yeah. like that, that, that's that's the, those are the other storylines you know like raven punk feud or um yeah or things like that you know but um yeah i'd say it's probably the best up until 2005 um that doesn't mean it's perfect um I, I don't think maybe it's quite as good as I remembered it because I think there were weird inconsistencies in terms of what they talked about. Like, I think some shows they really emphasized that Punk was, was, you know, leaving with the belt and like was WWE and like, and then other times they barely mentioned that or at least Punk barely mentioned it on his promos. Um, I think that some of the matches maybe weren't exactly what i'd like them to be like i still even though the daniels 60 minute match was pretty good i still would have preferred them doing a match that made more sense in their feud um i think the peaks were tremendous i really think that you know punk's heel turn promo uh, i know that we pointed out some some flaws in it when we reviewed it but i still think it was excellent and just a super dramatic moment one of the best moments in ROH history, and I think that his performance on the next show, The Sign of Dishonor, was—we've talked about that at length—about how just incredible one-man show that he put on that night, um, yeah. between promos and the match that he had. I think he really did help make Roderick Strong. I think that match really did change things for Roderick, um, and I think that four-way finale was fantastic. I think you know some of the stuff in between all that was. Maybe not as great as it could have been, but overall, I, I think it worked. It worked pretty darn well, and the, the, the audience was definitely captivated with it through the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I, I think I would agree with you. Um, when I was thinking about it the other day, I was thinking, like, I know we've read a couple of quotes from like Dave Meltzer saying, you know, it sounds like this storyline's going on too long. I think it went. On the perfect amount, especially when you consider that, like, uh, that every market Ring of Honor was regularly going to or trying to make a regular market got one, exactly one show. It's like they ran the loop once with this storyline. Um, I, I, like I mentioned on the end of last episode, I think it's perfect that they said it, they had it come to an end where Gibson wins the title in Dayton and then the next night Punk leaves in Chicago. I think that worked out perfectly. I, I do think. It did sag the storyline a little bit when we got to the Gibson and Daniels chapters part. It's kind of funny because like on paper, you look at the storyline and you'd say, oh, the best matches and the ones where people really are going to really buy that Punk's going to lose the title would be against Gibson and Daniels. But when you watch it, it's like the matches where people I think before the end, they really thought Punk was going to lose the title were, and that I think were the best matches – were Jay Lethal and Roderick Strong, you know, that's when, and it did kind of lose a little bit of that energy, that mystery, I think, when it got to the Gibson and Daniels chapters, although those matches are not bad.
1: And if you, and if you go back and listen to those episodes about from Escape from New York and Sign Dishonored, I think I, I tried to explain why I think that was the case.
0: Yeah, you definitely did.
1: Well, it was, it was, well, I don't know if you like. it was like, those first two shows, you know, you didn't know, and it was just like, "Oh, is he coming back for these two shows to drop the title after that heel turn?" And then once he got past that, just I think most of the crowd saw the calendar, and they said, yeah. "Oh, Chicago for you know f- yeah. three three shows away. Okay, that's what that's that, that's what he's that's what he's staying until." You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, exactly, and I just think it's interesting because I do think like, if like anyone goes back and watches the storyline, because there probably are people revisiting it. The so punk has openly referenced it multiple times on social media lately, and you know on television. I think if you, if you just look at the match listings and kind of get the basic synopsis of the storyline, like what you think will be the high ones, you, you might be surprised when you actually go back and watch the shows. And um, I, I also I just want to say the one other thing I thought was interesting revisiting it is just how hard for those first two or three shows like you know the they lean into the cult Cabana's disappointed you know Punk kind of betrayed him by not doing Good Times Great Memories and then how they just you know Punk I mean Cabana misses two shows because he goes on to Europe and then they completely drop it and not that I think it's um like they should I think what how they treat the cabana thing tonight where it's completely out of character is just two friends having a heartwarming match and moment together. I think that's the way you should have done it, but it is interesting how, you know, if you watch the first three shows of the storyline, it definitely, you know, they're, they're pushing hard, kind of a a storyline. And then it feels like at some point they just decide, you know what? Like, it's not going to work with what, what, what we want the final match to be. So it just gets dropped.
1: They could have thrown something on the Dayton show where cabana was there you know since they were sort of building up to the idea that if punk won uh, at Dayton he would be defending the title against cabana in chicago they could have had cuz you know punk did come out and do a promo right after cabana's match against cabana's opponent that he just beat they could have <laughs> thrown some some bone to the whole punk cabana thing but they just decided to avoid the issue entirely
0: like, even going back to Sign of Dishonor, like, they did, they, they went as far in terms of the angles, having Punk basically, like, shit on Cabana right in front of him, where Daniels beats Cabana, and then Punk, with, like, a smirk on his face, goes, You haven't beaten anybody, you know, like, worth yeah, yeah. anything yet. And then, you know, a few shows later, they're having just this heartwarming friendship, and, and uh, you know. It it is again. I would not change what they did on this show at all. But it is funny. I I I would be interested in going where what their thoughts were when they were doing those kind of things. Like, did they have in their mind maybe at one point a more storyline based payoff? It, it, especially, it's funny because Punk never does do good. Good times, great memories. You know, like you know, cult should be outraged. He he never gets that show appearance. But
1: well, you know, maybe AEW can bring back good times, great memories. <laughs>
0: Finally, another show for AAW, but AEW, uh, not Doctor Keith's good promotion. But <laughs> moving on, that brings us to Punk, the final chapter. It took place August thirteenth, two thousand five, at the Frontier Fieldhouse in Chicago Ridge, Illinois, in front of a reported crowd of one thousand fans. Uh, The Observer wrote at the time that the Dayton show that happened the night before drew 700, which is the best Ring of Honor has ever done in that city, and the next night in Chicago Ridge drew 1,000, which I believe is also the Ring of Honor record there. The big reasons were the title match in Dayton plus Matt Hardy, and in Chicago, the final appearance of CM Punk. Uh, The Torchwood write, Sapolsky says the increased number of shows Ring of Honor is running has worked out well so far this year. Quote, it has worked out great. We always say that we'll go as far as the fans take us. So far, the fans have proven that they will support more shows from us. As long as they do that, we will have more shows. If it comes to the point that there are too many shows and the fans can't support them all, we will pull back. But so far, that hasn't happened, and I want to thank everyone for allowing us to do so many shows Regarding the strong attendance both nights this weekend, Sapolsky says, We love the Dayton-Chicago weekends. They revitalized the entire company from the office crew to the guys in the ring. So, you know, there was definitely... I, I think that you. This is the, not the la- the first time that Gabe has even said like, "Oh, like the Midwest is." If, it really felt like at some points that they, like Gabe was almost saying like the Midwest are like the best fans right at this moment. You although know.
1: although it's funny because they kind of abandoned Dayton after this. Like they still have Dayton shows, obviously in two thousand six. I'm trying to think. I don't think that they have any more Dayton shows in two thousand and five because the next Chicago double shot they run Detroit instead. And the Dayton shows that they do have in 2006 are usually like secondary to a show in Cleveland, and they just don't give as much big stuff to Dayton after this. It's very strange, but I guess we'll you know we'll cover that in the future. But it is strange like that. You know that this Dayton show was did so well for them and was an excellent show in in my opinion. um, That um, that they kind of pulled back from it.
0: Yeah, especially, yeah, 700 was a good crowd in a lot of markets for Ring of, a very good crowd for Ring of On in a lot of markets at this point. And when you think about it, like, I'm always horrible about remembering what the future shows are going to be in what city, but I know like when you look at the show before this in Dayton, I mean the show before the last show we just covered, uh, um, and I think the final showdown, you know, that that had you know a big punk homicide feud ending cage matches the main event, then the Dayton show we just covered has you know the punk title change in the main event, and then I you know I don't think Dayton ever gets something near as big as those two main events again. So it's almost like, yeah, it just, they seem to kind of pull back their importance in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Um
0: Yeah. Also, I'll just note that the, uh, the punk, the final chapter name punk said this, I think in the last month on social media, that punk, the final chapter, the name of the show came from him because he liked it as a Friday, the 13th, the final chapter reference. So that, even that apparently was Punk's brainchild and uh, a little horror movie reference for him, from him.
1: Wasn't this Saturday the 13th though? So mm. – <laughs> <Not laughs> no, That work. would have been extra good. Yeah,
0: I, 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 didn't, I forgot Yet yeah, had Saturday the 13th. So before the show started, there were three dark matches as it was starting to be the case on these Ring of Honor shows between the students, although there is one non-student here. First, there was Bobby Dempsey defeats Smash Bradley. Then there was Brad Bradley, who was not a Ring of Honor student. He was an IWA Mid-South um, mainstay at this point. And people might know him better as Ryan Braddock in WWE. He had a brief cup of coffee on the main roster and a lot of years in their development system. And then you might also know him as Aiden O'Shea in places like TNA. He defeated Shane Hagadorn, And then finally you had Antonio Blanca defeating Davey Andrews. Uh, I believe I was just listening to the An Honorable Mention podcast that covers uh, Punk the Final Chapter, the other you know, Ring of Honor podcast we reference a lot. And I believe Shane Hagedorn was saying on that that they have, actually do have the footage of these three dark matches and I think he said he was throwing it up on YouTube. So maybe if you search for An Honorable Mention or these matches on YouTube, you may be able to find those matches if you are interested. You could watch an even more complete, more than three hour version of the show if you add those in. Um... And that brings us to opening the show proper that we get to see on DVD. We open the show in a novel way for Ring of Honor, a way that rarely happened on the show, with Dave Prezak in the ring, introducing the new Ring of Honor world champion, James Gibson. It's starting, uh,
1: starting to be a tradition to open ROH shows after a world title change with this. Um, they, um, they did it with Ares after he won the title. Um, they did it with Punk when he won the title. And now they're doing it with Gibson, and I believe after Danielson wins the title, they're gonna, on his first show back, they're going to open with their in-ring promo with him. So I guess it's sort of that's going to become the tradition.
0: And I like that. I, I like having – it just helps make the title change seem more momentous. And it's nice for the champ sure. to kind of give kind of a mission statement promo right up top. Um, Gibson makes his way to the ring. He's high-fiving the whole front row. He's happy as a clam. Uh, there's a big Gibson chant as he grabs the mic. He says that a year ago he didn't know what was going to happen to him and his family – but this company gave him an opportunity, and you fans welcomed him with open arms. And from the bottom of his heart, he thanks all of us. He says that what I said last night about winning the Ring of Honor title and it being the most important thing to happen to me in my career, I meant it. I, he, at this point, he then says, I know there's a rumor going around about myself, but just so you know, as long as Ring of Honor is promoting shows and I'm the champion, there's not enough money in the world or a man powerful enough to make me spit in the fans of Ring of Honor and its fans. Um, Gibson says, if he loses the title, it won't be because he was made to lay down or forced into it. It'll be because the man in the locker room is better than him. Gibson says, contrary to popular belief, he is not a transitional champion. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, naughty, naughty, James Gibson, you, your nose is growing longer. Um, at this point, Spanky comes to the ring. He and Gibson hug and praise reminds the crowd that the two of them have a tag title shot later tonight. Uh, Spanky congratulates Gibson again, and he says he has the opportunity tonight to make history and become a double Ring of Honor champ. Spanky says, though, that an op- he, want- he wants an opportunity at Gibson's Ring of Honor world title, not tonight, but in sometime in the future. Gibson's so pumped and he's 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 so happy. He says Spanky was the guy who put him on the map in Ring of Honor. He and he gives he gave Spanky his word the last night. He's got a title shot in the future. Then Gibson tells the crowd he's proud to be their champion. And if it's a week, a year, or ten years, he will not lay down this belt down. He will not lay this belt down for politics. It's a month. Yeah. so I will say I love the energy behind this. The crowd was obviously really happy for Gibson. Gibson was, you know, happy in a legit way that I think really came through like it was the night before. The th- the one thing I didn't like was it bordered a little bit on kind of shooty kind of with the, you know, I'm not going to lay this down for politics, you know, it's not going to be because I was forced into it like y- like he was kind of trying to almost, you know, walk that line between shoot and real. Basically saying, like, I, I get his intention, which is the idea of
1: like he's contrasting with punk. Uh,
0: that that's an interesting, yeah, exactly. But I I think it's also it's almost like he wants to give the impression that like. When I lose this title, it's going to mean something. It's not just going to be because they had to quickly get the title off me. Like, he's still trying to put the importance on. If someone beats me, it's going to be because they're the guy. You know, they deserve it. Not because they just need to quickly get this title off me because I'm going to WWE. But also, I mean, they're quickly getting the title off of him because he's going to WWE. And, you know, he's kind of walking the line between just saying, like, you know, talking about booking at this point, which is kind of weird.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think he cuts that promo if he didn't follow the CM Punk storyline of the guy who signed with WWE and then was like, I'm leaving with the title. So I think that that that's the idea. But obviously... You know, the idea that he's like, I'm not going to be a transitional champion. Like, yeah, you sure about that, buddy? Um, <laughs> I, I do think that no one in ROH ever has been better at playing like the childlike sense of wonderment and joy that James Gibson is able to express. Um, I guess the spanky stuff we could talk about later. Yeah.
0: yeah. It, it is, a, yeah. And I would agree about that. the child, as you perfectly put, the childlike sense of wonderment. Like, it is infectious how happy he appears to be to hold this title.
1: It's interesting uh, that WWE never, ever, ever let him show that side in like the (laughs) 20 years that he was there.
0: Yeah, I just – It it is sad, you know, the one thing that is sad about all this on this double shot weekend, how many times, you know, Gibson keeps saying about like how this is the best time of his career and, you know, like, you know, just so much fun and it's the best locker room he's ever worked with and all this stuff. Like knowing where he's going and how he's not going to be used close to his true potential, it, it, it is kind of bittersweet to see a guy so happy, but also knowing how quickly his circumstances are going to go change again. But um. Next up we have the opener of the show, four-corner survival match. Nigel McGuinness defeated Alex Shelley, Delirious, and Matt Seidel, and Prince Nas in Alex Shelley's corner, Daisy Hayes is in Seidel's corner, and Nigel wins in ten minutes, fifty-one seconds, ping Delirious after he hits the Tower of London. Uh, Matt, another four-way, but you know, not a not a dud wrestler in the bunch on this four-way. What did you think about it?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say, like, if you're gonna pick in this era like an opening match four way like, and which four guys would you pick? I don't know how much better you could do than this crew of four guys. You know, you got some of the undercard comedy wrestlers, you have some of the more established stars, um and you even have some feuds in there. I thought this was a lot better than the opening four-way the night before, like a lot, a lot better. And I thought it was pr- pretty solid. Like, you know, I mean, Nigel continues his mo- momentum by winning – you know, like there's a lot of fun stuff. Shelley is, you know, still just having a blast doing the heel work, and he gets to sort of work over Seidel and you know continue the feud uh, between the Embassy and Generation Next, which I thought was was pretty helpful. You know, it's funny because like two shows in a row, the first match starts out with Delirious running around the ring like a madman when the bell rings. Um and you know they, they do mat work um, with Shelley, and then Seidel comes in, and he's just like he's going a million miles an hour with his, with um, so he gets backdropped to the floor by Nigel, he springboards back in um, with a missile drop kick, and he's you know drop kicking uh, Nigel in the leg and hitting a standing moonsault, and just doing, and then then Seidel and Delirious get to do some of their stuff that they've you know done together for years. Um, Nigel uh, is, uh, I mean. um Nana, I mean, is very active in the, uh, on the outside. He calls Daisy Hayes a quote Jezebel, which is such a wrestling term. I, I, I really mostly hear people use that term in wrestling. I, I don't it's know. It's Nana and
0: Dusty Rose.
1: Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um. And tells her to stay in the corner, and that's extremely audible. You know, there's some fun spots with Delirious, as there always is, um, like when Delirious tries to do the British like backwards leg crawl through Nigel's legs, and Nigel is just not having any of it. Um, there's another spot where Shelly ties Delirious up in a knot and drapes the Ghana flag over him. And the crowd really doesn't like that. But then eventually Delirious suddenly just crawls through and hits a series of clotheslines. So I guess the knot wasn't very tight. I don't know. Um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of fun spots, you know, um, at one point um delirious is on the is sitting on the uh on the top rope and he just raises his arms up and Sidal acts all scared and that allows <laughs> nigel to hit the rebound lariat <laughs> um and i thought that was fun um and they all you know they all do a bunch of big moves to each other and Sidal spin kick shelly to the floor and you know Sidal comes back in hits the swing inverted ddt um and eventually, um, Shelly yells, shell shock, motherfucker, on Nigel, but Nigel blocks it, hits the hammerlock DDT. Um, Nigel hits a big, big moonsault to, I mean, not, not Nigel, Seidel hits a big, big moonsault to Shelly and Nana. Um, and, uh, Delirious goes back up top, and Nigel gets him to jump off over him, then hits the Tower of London, wins the match, um, all action, hot crowd. I also like that in the post match, Shelley continues to beat Sidal's ass because it continues that feud. And you know, Sidal, it makes sense that he'd play the weak link in the Generation Next feud at this point since he is new. But um, yeah, I don't know. I thought this was, was was a pretty a pretty fun opener. Nothing nothing worth going out of your way to see or anything, but fun.
0: Yeah, I, I, I like this opener even slightly more than you. I thought this was, this was good. I, I, uh, this is one of the better four ways we see in a while, And it's nothing like you've never seen before or anything like that. But I think as far as the four way goes, where it's just, you know, 10 minutes of spots and having fun, you know, there's a nice blend of comedy and, and some cool moves and, and good wrestling. Um, I think crowds make a big difference too. This is, this is a match where this is the first match and you really know us right from the jump that, uh, this is a good crowd this night. You know, it's loud and into most things. Uh, Delirious is the star of the match in terms of he's really over and I do think this is that era. I, I forgot, you know, revisiting Ring of Honor, I forgot how over. Delirious's act was with most crowds when they first saw it. Because I remember being kind of, you know, the end of my Ring of Honor watching where I think people were more burnt out on his comedy and it, you they were seeing a lot of the same kind of shtick over and over again. But I think most cities, the first few times they saw Delirious, like, they were really into his comedy. And, like, you were even chuckling, laughing about, you know, the spot where he does the flexing and scaring side. And I was laughing, thinking about you laughing about, like, you know, it's in, he he's a, he is, can be a real funny wrestler and also you know a, a fairly good wrestler too, when he's really got his working shoes on
1: um I remember thi- I remember thinking like, I remember thinking um when I would watch these these shows in two thousand and five like when are they going to bring delirious to the east coast and it took them until probably like mid two thousand and six or like you know the second quarter of two thousand and six to start doing it, but like yeah, he was so over on these midwest shows,
0: yeah, just the most over guy in this match which is pretty wild I, I like a lot of people wouldn't predict that but um i think you know this match you know in terms of four ways you've seen even though there's some cool spots you've seen ones that are crazier and, and you know things like that but i think this match it just moves quickly and everyone's just a good wrestler and i think it's just that simple like it, it has a nice pace there's a little bit of comedy thrown in and it it's four professional arts. I thought Nigel, Nigel McGuinness, and Matt Seidel, they didn't do much together, but I thought they almost had like, I wrote intro in my notes, interesting physical chemistry in brackets, not sexually uh, just because I I felt like the watching. I got the impression that Nigel would be like a good base for Seidel. I don't know if they've had any, a lot of singles matches or any, I, I, my memory is Swiss cheese, but like, it just felt like, when they were having to do things somewhat more complicated that it looked like they could work well together. There's, you know, the big highlight spot of the match to me was Nigel goes to Tower of London, Seidel Delirious spears Nigel while he's about to do it, which allows Seidel to kind of fall into a sunset flip off of Nigel onto Delirious, which Shelley then breaks it with a raindrop drop kick to the face and just stuff like that. You know, that's probably as inventive and as complicated as they got, but I thought that was really cool. And like you mentioned, for the second straight night, uh, Seidel takes out Nana with a a moonsault, although he also takes out Shelly here, to the floor. Um, I guess we should also mention Prezak and Lenny Leonard are uh, on commentary, except for the final match. That's when Gabe tags in for... For Lenny. And in fact, it's funny that, you know, Gay has been tagging in for uh, Lenny and the main events on these shows lately. So when he does that for this main event on this show, Prazak calls him like the closer, which I thought was funny. Like the idea that Gabe just comes in for the main events. Um, dr keith was in the front row for the show and i guess we should just i'll just say dr keith if you're listening sorry we couldn't get you for this show we'll have to get your thoughts on a future show but we just wanted to rush it and i know in fact i probably as we are recording this you are working your aaw's doing a show so good luck with the show even though you will hear this after the show is done um but apart from that yeah that, that good opener oh i guess i do have one note matt from Pro Wrestling Torch, someone named Jason Detrick, who I will have a bone to pick with later in the show. That is a tease, but he has uh, some notes, and I'll use one here. He wrote... During the match, Nana's watch fell off and he didn't realize it. A fan pointed it out to him. Nana picked up his watch and thanked the fan, saying that he owed him 10,000 rupees or some other foreign currency. (laughs) So I, I like that Nana just plays along and Nana actually has to, like, show gratitude to a fan. I thought that is a funny moment. Um After the match, uh, Shelly, like Matt said, Shelly and Seidel continue to brawl, with Shelly dumping Seidel into the front row and whipping him into a barricade. Nana slaps him in the face, and Shelly tells him to fuck Seidel up, which he does with stomps. I think it's funny, because multiple shows now, like... Side, I mean, um, Shelly has told Nana to like do stuff. It's almost like Shelly. I don't think this is a storyline point, but he's kind of taking. He's really contr- like being kind of the ring controller for this group now. Where he's like, I know on the last show he told Nana to like hold up the Ghana flag, and Nana does it. He's he's directing traffic. I, I like that. But that brings us to the second match on the show. Chad Collier defeated Ace Steel in 10 minutes 27 seconds when he made Ace pass out in the Texas Cloverleaf. And Matt, this was a bizarre match, in my opinion, because. Uh, but, all right. Let's start off with the opening minute or two. Sees not much happen. They kind of take it very slow, except everybody is making fun of Chad Collier's Mohawk. The crowd is Ace steel is. He even does like a a uh, Tatanka little dance to mock him,
1: which is um, not something it- that I would hope he would do now. But yes, he <laughs> did. Do, he did do that back then.
0: Dave Prazak on commentary is making fun of Chad Collier's Mohawk. Um, at this point they start to do a very basic technical wrestling match. It's very solid, very professional, very kind of nondescript wrestling. Um, and then at that point as they start to wrestle you start to become aware that there are a, a few women who are just screaming out in orgasmic glee whenever Chad Collier is on offense like Jeff Lethal's Jay Lethal's mom Jeff Hardy fan level screams um, it gets to the point where there are fans that are starting to mock it and, and then um, which I have more to say about later and Commenter even has to acknowledge like I think Praise X is at some point like you know Chad Collier is a hit with the ladies and it's like that, that this is getting this is something I did not expect watching this match um at that point. the match starts ramping up a little bit and there's a, a um steel hits collier with a really good looking kit where it looks like he gets his foot right in his face there's a cool moment where um He's on the mat and he wraps his uh, – while he's on the mat, he wraps his his legs around Collier's head in a head scissors. And then while he's holding – he basically like crawls up the turnbuckles with his hands, just with his upper body hold, while he's holding the head scissors. And then he takes them down once he gets to the top rope with the head scissors. I thought that was cool. And then it goes to the outside and then it gets really, really weird and crazy and notable. So what happens is – um. Ace and Chad are in a strike battle on the floor, and after taking one strike, Ace stumbles backwards and hits what is supposed to be a, like, accidental, like, um, just, you know, knocks over a Ring of Honor student, who I guess is supposed to be Pele Primo, who is supposed to be doing, um security but that's the intention but how it comes off is that like ace does like a purposeful back elbow brains Peli primo who is not like close to the barricade he's basically close to like the ring apron to the point where you're wondering like why the fuck is he there but at that point, you realize it's a planned spot because Ace and the ref are checking on the kid, you know, who sells, you know, Pele sells like he's being knocked out. The, the commentary is acting like Ace's elbow was completely inadvertent, which, it, again, it was meant to be, but it didn't look that way. Um, Chad Collier, while the ref and Ace are looking, he grabs a uh, steel chair or I guess a plastic chair and he just brains Ace with it over the head, It, it you know, bursts open. Uh, Collier then... At this point, Collier goes in the ring for a second, and then he comes back, and he grabs Ace, he go, comes back outside, he grabs Ace, who's been under the, uh now under the ring apron, presumably bleeding, when he drags him out, before we can even see what's going on, when the f- fans in the front row see what's going on, you hear, like, this audible groan from a few of them, like, oh, and you quickly realize that Ace is just dripping blood, like, he... He, he is bladed. He, I think you can actually see the, the blade mark on the side of his head at one point. So it's clearly a blade job, I think. But he is bladed too deeply. He is bleeding really bad. Um, Ace throws him in the ring. He pretty much immediately puts Ace in the Texas clover leaf. And in, in an absolutely disgusting visual, uh, the ref, I believe, Paul Turner, he lifts Ace's um, arm once, I think. And then instead of lifting his arm up two more times, he lifts Ace's head up and lets it drop to the mat to to see if he's conscious or not. And as soon as he lifts Ace's head up, we can see just in the short time Ace's head has been on the mat, a giant puddle of blood is formed to the point where when Turner drops Ace's head and it falls back into the puddle of blood, it splashes all over Paul Turner's hand. And after doing this a couple times, Paul Turner stops the match. Refs rush to the ring to check on Ace Steel, who sells mostly like he's out of it. And Matt, this was... I did not even, you know, I usually give in my, when I write my little notes and reviews for my matches as I cover, watch them, I write, you know, average, above average, good, very good, great, all that stuff. I did not even give this match a rating because it was just so bizarre like just between like the making fun of H. collier to the weird kind of low-key nature of the match like it just went starting to turn into something to the screams for collier to the crazy severe blood stoppage and the weird way they got to it and it, it's also weird because before i get it to you, i'll just say this like sets up a weird mini feud between Chad Collier and, and, and Steel that goes well into 2006, but it would only hap, like it would only progress on the Chicago shows. Like they would only do it on, except I think there's one tag in Cleveland where they are on opposite sides, but it, it became this weird thing where it was like, this starts a, like a Chicago only lower mid card ring of honor feud. It's, it's a really weird thing all around that.
1: Yeah, definitely weird. Um, the match, I mean, there's really not much to say about it that you didn't say. It's, it really was just killing time before the angle, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. not that, not that everything they did, not that they weren't working hard and doing good stuff, but like the the stuff with the crowd screaming at Collier, it felt to me like, I don't know, whoever was doing that in the crowd was having fun, you know? Like they were, they thought it was funny to do that. like yeah. uh, Like I don't think they were actually like treating Chad Collier like he was like. I don't know, Mick Jagger in 1966. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, I think they just thought it was funny to scream for him. Um, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they really I, were.
0: I have a note that might shed a little more light in a second, but okay. keep keep going.
1: But, like, it, this, this was really all about the angle. And the angle was weird for the reasons that you said. Like, it's way too heavy an angle to do for a few that means so little to the show overall, right? Like, like to to have that I mean i I obviously the blood was not there was not there 's never they no one ever intends to bleed that hard, right um, yeah, but um you know when when you just see like that level of blade job, like an all time disgusting blade job for a angle like this, you know a second match on the card will always be second match on the card level feud, um it just seems like way too much. The other thing that I thought was weird about it bugged me a little bit is that they're there in chicago um the main eventers are in a stable with Ace steel um and yes i get why punk might not get involved but like cabana could have come out there and checked on him it really seems weird that they didn't you know what i mean like uh you know whenever like they normally do angles like this the guy's stable mates come out and check on them and you know we know that punk and cabana are there uh so it was it it kind of bugged me like in a very minor way like why didn't cabana come out to check on ace you know what i mean
0: and it also is funny because you know i'm sure they did not plan the blade the blood to be as severe as it was i, I at least i hope so but knowing that like ace is going to be out sitting at ringside for the main event right. you know like
1: well I, i'm going to talk about this later but it feels to me like that main event is happening in a post kayfabe world <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You, you got a good point there yeah um So here's some live reports, and this is where I'm going to – in a second, I'm going to have my bone to pick with this Mr. Jason Detrick who posted on – and gave a report to the PW Torch at the time of the show. First off, he said, Chad Collier defeated Ace Steel when Ace passed out to the Texas Cloverleaf. The big story coming out of this match was the sick blade job Ace did on the outside selling a chair shot. The whole floor was covered in blood, and they had to mop it up with about five different bright white towels. It was quite a visual. So was Ace lying there with blood pouring onto the mat at an alarming rate and fluidity, uh, alarming rate and fluidity before passing out from the pain. "Quote unquote." They worked on Ace for quite a while in the ring, and they helped him to the back. So that's interesting too, because like on the show, you know, they cut fairly quickly after the finish. You can see refs are rushing the ring, and this is where we get to the my bone, Matt. This is where we get to my bone, Jason Detrick wrote, for some ungodly reason, these four obese women in the fourth row behind us were screaming over Chad Collier. Yes, Chad Collier. Whenever he was facing their section, they would squeal like groupies, desperate groupies if they are settling for Chad Collier, exclamation mark. Eventually, the crowd gets fed up with these creatures of the night and yelled to them to shut the fuck up multiple times. It didn't work. So finally, Someone starts a fat chick thriller chant for Chad Collier. I admit I joined in. It was just too perfect to pass up. The ladies didn't make a peep for the rest of the night until Hardy came out, so I think they were pretty embarrassed. Mission accomplished. I I'll just say, you know, we all do dumb things when we're younger. Do not be like Jason Detrick. Like
1: He was actually seventy two when he wrote this.
0: <laughs> rest in peace, D Jason Detrick. Um
1: uh, like
0: I, I get sometimes people's – you know, sometimes males have annoying voices. I thought it was a it, – it, it, honestly, before the blade jump, it was the most interesting thing about this match. And I'll say this. Men go to wrestling shows and hoot and holler for women, attractive women all the time. Like why four women can't hoot and holler if they like Chad Collier? I, I think it's – you know, sometimes people wonder, especially in this era, why more women don't show up to ind- independent wrestling events like – It's shit like this, like the idea that you've shouted these women down and embarrassed them, and you're like, mission accomplished. Yeah, that
1: part part especially was like, all right, great. You made people have less fun at a show when they weren't doing anything to hurt anybody. Great. Uh, Yeah, I mean, wrestling fans still can be really shitty sometimes, and especially back then, they could definitely be pretty shitty um, when you get enough of them together, and yeah, this is an example of – them being shitty i'm not going to blame this particular person i you know i don't think he started it and i'm sure that if he looked back now he would probably say that wasn't cool you know and again you're right we all do things that we are not proud of so not you know we wish you all the best jason but i um but yeah no it's 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 definitely an example of some of the toxic toxicity in these wrestling crowds back in those days
0: yeah i'll i'll just say this is a teachable moment do not be that kind of fan just don't there, there are, even if the fan is just annoying you with the shrillness of their voice, there are better ways to deal with it than than doing stuff like this. And you should not be happy when you've basically embarrassed someone that's just trying to have fun to the point where you feel, feel it is, is a victory that you have made them go silent. Uh, but anyway – Uh, After the match, the ref does call for help. The other refs flood the ring. The announcers freak out over the blood loss as a towel is applied to Ace's head, and he rolls over, and we can just see a massive puddle of blood under him. The crowd does chant for Ace as he lies almost motionless, and that brings us to our third match on the show. Austin Aries defeated Jimmy Rave via pinfall in 13 minutes, 28 seconds, when he sat down on a sunset flip from Rave turned it into kind of a cradle. Um, you know, basically the, uh, SummerSlam 92 finish, I think with Bulldog and Bret Hart. Um, I like this match quite a bit. This is like a high good for me. I I might be, this might be another match where I'm crazy. I'll be interesting to see what you think, Matt, because it's almost that hidden gem level for me. It kind of reminds me of the Matt Seidel, Jimmy Ray match. We both really liked a few shows ago where it's not this match that's super notable or does anything like super crazy or, or different. It's just a really well-constructed solid match that I, just, I, I just admired like the craftsmanship of it in a way. It, it's, it's got just a good basic structure where, you know, Aries, you know, kind of shows as the face early that he's like the better wrestler, but then one key spot in the middle where um, Aries is going for his ke- quebrada um, Rave gets his feet, his knees up, and it actually hits looks like it hits Ares right in the face, but he ends up selling his midsection because that's the story. Um it hurts Ares, you know, now all of a sudden the heel has the advantage. And then Rave spends the middle of the match um working over Ares midsection. And it's uh I don't know why I took the lead on this match because normally we do e- each other, but uh, I'll I'll just, I'll just keep going and I'll give you the next two matches. But um a- anyway. So Rave does this really uh, good job of working over the med section, I would say, because we've talked about before that Rave's philosophy was not to do anything too flashy, not to, like, overshadow his opponent. And I think if you watch Rave in this match, he finds, like, the perfect level of offense where it's entertaining – But it's not so entertaining that he'll get, like, big pops for it. Like, it's very – he's always doing something different to the med section. Like, he's not doing the kind of match where sometimes, like, a guy who says, I'm an old school heel, they think it means, like, doing one boring move over and over again or one, like, stretching submission move for minutes. But here, like, Rave always keeps it moving. He does – Focus punches on the midsection, kicks and knees. He rams him in the corner with his shoulder in the midsection. He does a gourd buster, a stomach breaker, a body scissors, a bear hug. He does a, uh, a Donald stretch with Nana helping him and grabbing the ropes. And then they do the classic spot where like the ref notices and kicks the hand away. And then uh, Ares reverses it. Like he's, always, he's never dwelling on something for too long. And it's that kind of mid-range offense where it's not boring, but it's not going to get him pops, like I said. And then... Aries, you know, starts to fight in the classic, you know, story, you know, Ares has the injury and he does a decent job of selling his midsection for the rest of the match, but he fights through it. They fight back and forth. Uh there's a great moment where he goes for the 450, but Rave gets his knees up and he gets a cradle out of it, and that gets a nice near fall. And then the end of the match is, you know, Ares, uh Rave is going they they're they end up fighting on the top turnbuckle. Um Rave is going to hit the rave clash on Ares from the second turnbuckle. Aries, like bops him in the in the head multiple times where he just claps his ears with his legs as he's hanging upside down which gets rave to drop him but rave is still on the second turnbuckle so he decides oh i'm going to uh just go for a sunset flip Ares sits down which i think is a nice way also of kind of protecting rave because even though it's a clean win for aries like he survived the brain buster in this match and he didn't you know you know he didn't get to hit the four aries didn't get to hit the 450 it just is this one mistake you know that rave makes that aries is able to counter. And again, like not this is not a match I would say you have to go out of your way to see, but I just thought it was like I feel like Aries is really good against guys like Selda, Seidel and He's that have really like flashy offense that contrast to him, and I think he's really good at just kind of leading a match, you know, that is just simple but makes sense, you know, and is and kind of satisfying in that way.
1: Um. Yeah. I, so. This match I thought it was technically very good and I think a lot of the things you liked about it are true. But I for whatever reason I didn't connect with it. It didn't feel like it had a lot of life to me. Um so I didn't like it not nearly as much as you even though I, I don't necessarily think there was anything wrong with it. You know, I, there were some spots really early that I thought were really good. Um you know the uh, the aggressive like slapping of each other and then there was this one spot which I don't think I've seen before. Um so Rave is running the ropes and like in order to keep Rave from bouncing off the rope to get hit with a drop kick by Ares, Nana grabs Rave's legs, and then Rave just, I mean, then Ares does a baseball slide between Rave's legs and kicks Nana into the guardrail. And that was pretty contrived, but I thought, like, that was one of the coolest spots of the whole match. Um, another thing that was good, you know, that I'll say is, um, you know, when you talked about Rave working over Ares' ribs, that's actually a continuation of the night before where they were working over Ares' ribs, right? So, like, yeah. that add, that adds to the psychology even more, which I thought was good. But whatever it was, like, I don't know, it just didn't seem like... It didn't seem like it worked that well for the crowd, and it just didn't seem like it was so exciting for most of the match. Like, there was just, like, a, a kind of dryness to it. I will say this. Um, after... Um, after uh aries kicks out of the when he goes through the 450 and rave gets his knees up um and the pinning combo then the crowd gets really into aries at that point and then they come alive and they get they you know, they go through all their different spots um leading to the finish um so i think the last few minutes and the first few minutes were very good i just i don't know i found a lot of the middle of the match to just be kind of dull even though it was technically good
0: and I will say uh, this is another match where I think I'm in the high vote because after the match I, I looked online and yeah, there's a lot of people that thought this was the worst match on the show. I, I definitely found, don't. I
1: definitely don't think that.
0: But I, I even found you know a live report from Dr. Keith and Derek Bergen where I they I believe they wrote that uh, Rave had a lot of botches in this match, which I don't think I saw. Whatever you think about this match, did you see a lot of Jimmy Rave botching? Maybe it was more evident in the front row, but
1: or they edited um, it out. I guess that's possible. Uh, I, I also,
0: there's just, uh, even though I kept saying how, like, kind of simple it was, there were, like, cool spots. Like the one you mentioned, the through the legs basement dropkick, there was a, uh, R- Ares is going for the crucifix bomb, and, uh, instead, uh, Rave just drops it down into, like, a Samoan drop, which I, which was a nice counter. Or even, I, I, re- I thought there was a cool spot where, uh, Ares is going. Ares counters gonorrhea, which is like that swing, that swinging move where – that, that swinging move, much like uh, that that arm submission for Nigel it's, McGinnis.
1: It's like a leg trap neck breaker. Kind
0: yeah. Of. yeah. But Ares like turns it into a cross body in mid-swing, which I thought looked really cool, where he just like shifts his weight and is able to turn to a cross body. But yeah, a match I probably like again, much like the Nigel McGinnis cult cabana European rounds, match that I like more than most people. But – I, I did not like this match as much as that, let's be clear. But moving on. After the match, Nana goes after a ringside staffer. He jumps on their apron to complain more. Ares attacks him, but this allows Alex Shelley to jump him from behind. Rave then does is able to hit the Rave Clash on Ares. Nana attacks Ares some more until Roddick Strong and Matt Seidel chase them away. And Matt, that, that brings us to... Jay Lethal and Samoa Joe defeating the Rottweilers of Homicide and Loki via DQ in 17 minutes, 34 seconds, when Homicide elbow drops the referee. So, I don't know if, like, you you should take the lead on this match, but Matt, I almost feel like... Should we just talk about the match and the brawl happened afterwards uh, as one thing almost? Because even when I was like writing a review of this match, I had a hard time... Because like, I almost want to include the brawl even though it's technically after the match. Because basically, for those who won't see this, it's a 17-minute match. But I think I timed it out. Like, the brawl that happens afterwards is fantastic. And it's like another eight or nine minutes. And it happens immediately after the match. So it's kind of like almost a half an hour package of stuff you get from this match.
1: Yeah, I mean it's completely unfair to not count that as part of the match like yeah. it's that's part of the match you know that that that's um you know i mean that's just like this is you know wrestling is fake and so like it's such a weird technicality to say like well there was the match and then there was a brawl like no that's all the match and yeah. yes a lot of the match happens after the bell rings uh, for to end the match um, but um but yeah, so so you have the tag team match part of the match, which is long, right it's well, how long did you say it was
0: seventeen and a half minutes
1: yeah, seventeen and a half minutes, and then you have another you know almost ten minutes of brawl after that, right um, yeah. so um so the tag team match itself is quite good. Um, in my opinion, uh, it starts out really hot and heavy and you know, all four guys brawling. Joe hits the elbow suicida pretty much immediately. Although it's funny because we talked about how the, the, the tope that he did the uh, the night before was like one of the best ever, right? Yeah. This one, he really just hits homicide with his elbow. Like the rest of his body doesn't touch homicide at all, which I guess is cool in its own way. But I don't think it's exactly what he was going for. It but almost it, looked like
0: his feet caught the ropes almost. It almost yeah. felt like he almost kind of fell short.
1: He flopped to the ground definitely yeah. afterward. But it was you know he was okay, and they you know they they you know homicide and Joe they're just throwing around each other into the guardrails, and lethal in the ring is hitting springboard drop kicks on Loki, and Loki stops him, and then they. Then they settle down into the tag match, and you know it's always fun when Loki and Joe get to work each other because we never got that singles rematch in r o h and man, are their chops really hard, and actually it's very rare to see a low key match where someone is hitting harder than him, but I think low keys strike i mean Joe's strike seemed harder than low keys here. Um, I don't know if you uh, have, an, have a thought on that, but...
0: Uh, I think so. I mean, I mean, he's a bigger guy. So he yeah. has, if, if he wants them to be harder, I think he can make them harder because yeah. he has a lot more mass to put behind them.
1: Yeah, and like, but either way, they were both chopping and slapping the shit out of each other. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of the match was the Rottweilers on offense, working over Lethal, sometimes working over Joe. And in the low-key heel matches, when he's on offense... Sometimes things can slow down a little bit too much. But I think the presence of homicide here actually helped that process feel a little bit more uh active. You know, he kept things moving a little bit when Loki would would start getting slow. And I think they really those two, you know, we haven't seen a ton of tag team matches with Loki and Homicide teaming, but they really play well off each other and like, they they just like have this 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 heel like vibe that they were when they work together you know when when either like when when one of them's on the apron and they're taunting one of the guys in the ring or like knocking the other guy off the apron while someone has them in a hold Then um, uh, they do some really cool double team stuff um, uh, like for at one point um loki spits at samoa joe and then the rottweilers do a doomsday bulldog on Jay lethal like steiner's style which i, I don't know i don't see, i don't think i've seen them do that move before um and that was really cool they did it really well um it's funny because homicide locks on a nerve hold on Jay lethal so this is the second show in a row where a wrestler does a nerve hold in roh and <laughs> you don't see too many of those in roh so i think that is noteworthy um and also i just love nerve holds no just kidding um, um, and it
0: was Samoa Joe the previous night so this he wasn't even the first person on this weekend in this match to use
1: a nerf hole <laughs> that's right um, at one point Loki goes for that tree of woe double stomp that everyone loves and Loki I mean Lethal sits up and avoids it and uh, and hits a flying drop kick off the top rope or a leg lariat so that's cool um, at one point Joe gets an stf on homicide and key breaks it up with a big double stomp from the top rope and everyone goes crazy for that and then everyone everyone's in the ring doing crazy stuff homicide blocks the dragon suplex with a low blow and goes for a lariat and so joe comes in and shoves lethal out of the way hits a power slam and you know they're doing all sorts of stuff joe goes for an ole ole on loki but loki moves and hits joe with a chair in the back Um, and then he goes back, he, he tags back in and does like a total Kobashi style chop flurry on lethal. Just like chop, 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 chop. Um, and it'll be a couple of months before we get to see the real thing in, uh, in ROH. Um, and he's getting a few big two counts on lethal and he just starts slapping at the ref in anger. Um, you know, so so it's interesting because this is actually the second part of time in the match where they're getting the heat on lethal so they get the heat on lethal there's a hot tag to joe they do a whole bunch of stuff then they get the heat on lethal again which is maybe not what i would do but the crowd is stays with it pretty well um uh, and lethal like kind of this time he comes back on his own him and loki have a chop battle and homicides attacking joe on the floor um and Loki hits the double stomp with Lethal, draped over the middle rope, and that gets a big holy shit chant. Um, Lethal gets his foot on the ropes for the, for the kick out there. Um, and then Lethal actually hits the dragon suplex on Loki, but Homicide breaks it up by dropping an elbow on the referee, and that's when the match gets thrown out. Um, now, I'm actually not sure. Did they ever announce whether or not Joe and Lethal won that match or if it was another no contest?
0: I am just going via cage match, and cage match <clears throat> sometimes is wrong about that. Actually, could I ask you one thing first? I just based on that finish, did you think like it looked kind of weird in the sense of like the ref was closer to Homicide than the, the the two guys that were in the pinning situation? But he, the ref wasn't that much closer. Like, did it, did it seem kind of weird to you that like Homicide didn't just elbow <laughs> the wrestlers to break up the pin? Or did, do you think it was meant to be like this idea that like Homicide couldn't get there in time? so he has to elbow the ref because the ref wasn't that much further away
1: it felt to me like it was 100 percent on purpose homicide wanted to get disqualified um and just like fuck things up like that that's sort of how i took it not like he had no choice but to, to elbow the ref yeah. but that he actively wanted to um you know they were roughing up the ref a few times earlier in the match too so that's how i took it um I don't know if if you feel differently there but
0: Loki literally kicks and slaps the ref in the face at one point <laughs> and the ref does nothing about it.
1: And this is again the second show in a row that the Loki is roughing up the referees. So I think this is just a thing that they're doing right now with the uh you know and I think that's kind of what leads to when they bring in Jim Cornette as like the enforcer yeah. person um but so I thought that was good. Like I thought that was a good match. You know, uh, had a lot of was a lot of fun. Had, you know, I think Loki and Homicide work great together as heels. Um, I think the crowd is really into it, but that was not even close to the best part of this because then after the match the baby faces go nuts, they backdrop Homicide into the crowd, and they start having this wild brawl. Joe even does like almost a Van Daminator styles elbow um, into a chair into Homicide's face and then hits the ole ole kick on Homicide while in the crowd and they're brawling all over the bleachers and Lethal hits a running drop kick on top of the bleachers and Loki arrives and he's body slamming Lethal on the floor Joe attacks Homicide with some guy's shoe and then he throws the shoe at Loki and they're doing all sorts of stuff with this guy's shoe I hope he got his shoe back um, <laughs> unless he was the guy who was really mean to those four women screaming for Jack Keiter. um <laughs> then he doesn't deserve the shoe um but um you know like lethal's attacking loki with the shoe somehow joe finds a ladder and throws homicide into that and lethal and loki are fighting on the bleachers and joe suplexes homicide on the entrance ramp and then in the highlight of this whole thing uh loki stands on the top row of the bleachers jumps all the way off with a double stomp on to lethal on the floor the crowd just goes completely insane now i don't know how you felt about the uh, about the camera angle that was used i don't know if you think it's better this way or it would have been better the other way but the original shot is with the hard cam and basically we see Le- uh, Loki jumping off the bleachers and we don't see him land he's like just diving into a pit of nothingness and you can sort of just assume that he lands on lethal yeah. then the replay shows him landing on lethal now do you think it's cooler that they showed Le- that Loki like disappearing into the into the ground um in the first shot or do you think it would have been better if we had just seen him hit lethal in the first place?
0: I can see arguments for both cases, but it did kind of take me out for a second. Cause when I'm watching it, did th- this happen to you where the first thing you go, Oh God damn it. Did Ring of Honor not get a camera angle yeah. of that move? Are we going to miss it? And then second, later, you see the replay, which is a clear angle of it. You go, Oh, they did. And it kind of like, it almost distracts you for a second. Cause you're, cause you go through this, um, Matt, it's an emotional roller coaster yeah. for those five seconds. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah, oh, there it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it is cool to see, like, you could just imagine, like, how far he's he's flying. I mean, he does fly pretty far. Like, that is a, a long jump. It's not, like, the highest bleachers in the world, but it's a long jump. And then it's funny because they start chanting, you killed lethal, which, if you think about it, that's a really weird phrase, right? Because le- <laughs> le- you killed lethal. You killed lethally? Like, I-, I don't know. But they they start chanting that, and... Homicide and Loki then go back to ringside and Joe follows them. But instead of following them all the way, he just – he so he stands right at the edge of the guardrail in the crowd. Loki and um, Homicide are, are at ringside and Joe just starts grabbing chairs away from fans and just chucking them at Loki and Homicide. And he takes one, chucks it, another – I didn't count how many he actually throws but it's a lot. So it's basically like one of those chair riots where everyone throws a chair at the ring but – everybody is just joe here he's just throwing chair after chair after chair after chair just completely wild and crazily um to the point where i'm pretty sure he hard way busts loki open um but because um one ha- what happens is uh homicide and loki run away after they're getting hit with chair after chair and joe just stands on the apron holding up a chair in triumph and then loki just comes around the other end i guess through the crowd he appears behind joe um and he, he drop kicks Joe out of the ring. Lethal's back. He hits from behind. They brawl. Loki hits a key crusher on Lethal. Homicide and Joe brawl to the back. The crowd's going nuts for Loki, which I don't know, maybe isn't the reaction you want, although this is definitely not the only time on this show where I'm questioning the crowd's reaction. But um, finally, Loki goes to the back as the crowd chants ROH and... I guess what I would say is if you're going to do a fuck finish, follow it with something like that. Uh, th- <laughs> there have been a lot of like crowd brawls over the previous like eight months of ROH, you know, Danielson and homicide mainly. This mm. was so by far the best. Um, you know, like oh, yeah. just, just like the, the, the pacing of it. I mean, I think the crowd, just how into it the crowd was, some of the big spots that they did, um, you know, the way they ended it dramatically. I mean, this was freaking awesome. Like, uh, the you know, how well you think the match itself was, you know, I could see some people liking it more than others. I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a, a, a quite good match. Um, but the the post-match was over-the-top great, I thought. You know, one of the best brawls in ROH history, probably. And I, I, that's why I don't think you can really uh, separate them. But this was just an excellent segment. Just such a, a hot angle and brawl and you know the execution was great the characters were over it elevated every single person involved and i thought it was one of the best things on an roh dvd in a long time honestly
0: yeah i think i think this is a very good match but when you add in the brawl it's it's a fantastic match it's and i would agree with you this is probably the best brawl we've seen certainly in the crowd it it might be the best ever uh, and uh, for, for ring of honor and it's just it's an example. Like I, I like the point you near the end about how you know like people didn't care about the finish because like we we just cover on the last show. Jay Lethal and low-key went to a no-contest crowd brawl finish, and it was very unsatisfying. There was live report saying that the crowd was unsatisfied, and I don't think there's a fan in this building this night that was unsatisfied or was even aware or cared about the finish by the time they were done. Like It's an example of you can do like fuck finishes and things breaking down into a brawl in a way where – it, it, like, this is the most excited I've been about the low key lethal feud since the first match they had at Midnight Express reunion. That was really good. Like, this, you know, kind of revived my interest in it. I'm interested in seeing where this goes again.
1: Amazing what Samoa Joe can do for you. Yeah,
0: exactly. Amazing what one of the best wrestlers of his era can do to help things. But in terms of the tag match itself, it's funny because it does start out kind of crazy, but then a few minutes in, I was thinking this match isn't quite clicking for me. And I was going like, what's missing about it? And then all of a sudden I got what I, what was missing, which was emotion. Cause I feel like when, um, Jay lethal st- starts playing face in peril, the match gets to another level. You know, I'd probably give it like three and a three and three quarter stars, the tag match. And I think what makes it good is like key and homicide are just such dicks in this match. Like at one point, like, um, Lethal, like, screams out, Joe, as he's trying to reach the tag. And Key does something that's so, like, out of character for him, where Key, like, actually mocks um Lethal. Key, Key actually screams out, Joe, <laughs> and, like, makes fun of Lethal. And it's like, you rarely see, like, Le- Key be anything but stone-faced. And like you said, he's spitting at-, at um in Joe's face. And I don't think there's a wrestler that plays angry partner that's on the apron that can't come in better than Joe like Joe is just so great at screaming on the apron and just looking outraged there's a moment in this match where he is so mad at at what they're doing to Jay Lethal that he is pacing up and down the ring apron on his whole side of the ring like he can't wait to get in there and it's like when he does get in the ring so often when guys come in the ring to interfere for their partner it's like oh they just want to break up a pin but Joe does such a good job acting it feels like he's coming in where he's like I can't hold back anymore like I can't help myself there's a moment in this match where I forget it was Lethal I mean Key or Homicide but they're about to like hit a move to Lethal and Joe walks in the ring he shoves Lethal out of the way and takes the guy that is running at Lethal and just power slams him like he's like oh fuck I can't take this anymore I'm gonna just take care of this right now Oh, it was Homicide and it it was so so great I, I just love stuff like that and then yeah the match gets more chaotic near the end and like like you mentioned the the key the Key stuff, like the Key Joe stuff, it's sort of like the the Joe Punk stuff on the main event of the previous night where there's so little of it. It almost makes you mad because it's like you want to see more. And it's always fun because like the time the last time that these guys had this tag match, you know, Joe sells at a level in a, in a way for Key that he does for basically nobody else. Like the way he takes Key's shotgun dropkick and stuff. And it's just – it's really always fun to see and I wish they would have done more. But we just get a little bit of a taste here and then like you said um uh, the, the brawl is it's what elevates this match i mean it turns this match from what i would say is three and three quarters to well over four stars it, it's something special it, 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 and i think what's great about it's like you matt you did a great job of laying out all the stuff that happened there's so much that happens in it i think what's great about this brawl is, so often sometimes brawls in the crowd they get monotonous and there's a lot of ones where you go just with this and this like there's always something different happening. It's really intense. And it's like, a lot of time, like, just when you think it's going, there's like four times you think it's, the brawl's winding down and it's about to end. And then someone that was taken out of the brawl, like, comes back in or something new happens. And sometimes if it's a brawl you don't like, you go, God damn it's still not ending. But this time, like, I was always happy to see it was still, it was gonna come and keep going and, and that was happening and uh, taking another turn. And I don't know if you noticed this, there's one moment, when Joe starts throwing all the chairs in the ring and to to the fans' credit here, only a- i think one or two fans threw a chair themselves, but mostly everyone was just handing them to Joe. But when Joe starts throwing the chairs over and over it, he definitely like gets key right in the face with one chair, and that might be what caused the the blood on key but did you did you notice? it sounds like it's the camera because it's a very loud voice but when Joe starts throwing cho- chairs into the ringside area, area area you can hear what sounds like a very panicked like legit scared voice say no 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 and it sounds like it's the camera man it's just like,
1: <laughs> a, like getting
0: is getting scared because they're probably imagining is this going to be like another you know death before dishonor to tag match like chair throwing incident because this guy is you know standing at ringside having to hold the camera and I I think it's the cameraman going, like, no, 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 no. But luckily, it does not get that crazy. But, and I also agree about you. It is weird that, you know, I'm sure this is supposed to be putting over. You know, Key is supposed to be the heel in this feud, but, like, all during this match, he is the face, and at the end, he just comes out as, like, the most over guy of the four. You know, he's posing in the aisleway with blood dripping down his face just looking so crazy. It's funny, like, he is so over... There's a moment in the match where he has Jay Lethal in his trademark, like, slow things down body scissors, and the fans are still doing let's-go Key chants. And I just felt like, poor Jay Lethal, like... Key could have stabbed him in this match and fans would have just cheered. Like, they were just into Loki because Loki can be awesome.
1: Like, could he have but. shot someone on Fifth Avenue? <laughs> <laughs> That's a Donald Trump reference. <laughs> in case anyone doesn't understand.
0: <laughs> anyway, um, okay. Uh, so we got a and Matt. We got I got I've, I've saved the cherry on top for this because Ryan Deppa wrote a live report to the PW Insider, and he has an anecdote that I think just makes this even better to imagine. Because Matt, I don't think you'll be able to predict that this is what happens after the match. Ryan writes, there was an intermission after the previous match. They seem to have more merchandise available for this show, including many WWE figures and t-shirts. I witnessed a cool moment during the intermission and it was something that usually goes unnoticed. Homicide was walking back to the backstage area through the fans and stopped to sign an autograph for a little girl. It's the intimacy of those show, of these shows that makes them so fun to go to. I love the idea, Matt, that right after the match we just saw, Homicide is walking to the back and he sees a little girl and he signs an autograph for her. Like, that is such a crazy thing to think about after what we just saw. Like, the most crazy brawl. And then some little girl's like, Mr. 187, can you sign this for me? He's like, of course, little girl.
1: But wrestling's freaking crazy, huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, th- th- that moment is like the weird, bizarre, bizarre – like, it kind of reminds you of – after we reviewed the show you know uh, one of our fans uh, one of our listeners michael laney who we referenced a lot on the last show cuz he wrote us some great notes he um he pointed out he sent a little picture to us on twitter i don't know if you saw this where he was said you know it was his brother flipping off Matt Hardy and he says and he was apparently he was like a little kid and he's screaming like fuck you Matt or something to that effect and he says my brother actually asked my mom who was sitting next to him if he had, could have permission to do that and she said yes and i feel like the wrestling at times like the heartwarming and the like kind of horrifying are, like, often right beside each other, and I think you definitely see that on this show. Like, moments like, Mom, can I tell this guy to fuck off? Like, like just, it, it's crazy.
1: <laughs> and Mom's like, yeah, and this this situation warrants it. <laughs> it's like, That's like, for
0: Matt Hardy, honey. He yeah. deserves it. <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: what? Yeah, I, um. by the way, like, this match is one of those matches where you watch and you're like, so I don't vote in those, like, greatest wrestler ever polls. Like, I just feel like my knowledge isn't strong enough and I don't have the discipline discipline to watch all this stuff. But um, it's one of those matches where I watch it and I'm like, wherever they rank Samoa Joe on that list, it's not going to be high enough. Like, he's just so good at everything. And, like, just when you watch a match like this, you really see the... character side of Samoa Joe and how good he is at projecting a persona and get an emotion and getting the crowd invested like just even like the parts where he's on the apron like you said like he's just he's just one he really is one of the best ever it's it still frustrates me that he's he really didn't get a chance to be like at that top 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 Wrestlemania main eventer level in his prime because like I mean he should have been
0: yeah, I mean, this is one of those matches that shows you he wasn't just a great wrestler. Like, he was just a great all-around performer. Like like you said, yeah. like the emotion of every moment, he could just have that connection. and It could just raise everyone else's emotion to, like, meet what he wanted them to do, you know. Because, yeah, I don't think – you know, I think if anyone else – I mean, not that the other three aren't really talented and didn't play big parts in this match. But, like, I think if anyone else is in this match in in Joe's spot, it's not close to what we see here. Agreed. But – Next, we get Ace Steel standing outside in the signature Ring of Honor outside the building promo blue tint.
1: and they fact, make sh- they was... make sure to mention that it was taped earlier because you. Know. Yeah,
0: so the on screen graphic tells us earlier, I guess, to explain like why Ace Steel isn't covered in blood and nearly dead at this point. And in fact, I think just from the brick wall, this was probably recorded in Dayton the night before because we saw a lot of uh, right. show, um, promos the night before in front of that brick wall. I think um, that
1: actually makes a lot of sense.
0: So anyway, uh, Ace says five or six years ago, he and a partner opened up a wrestling school called the Steel Domain. And we started – at this point, we start seeing CM Punk clips during the promo and we see a lot of them throughout the promo. Um, Ace says one student came off a football scholarship. He played one year and he was done and he was ready to wrestle at that point. He was a natural athlete and then there was another student. He was a pseudo-icon in a small Chicago suburb but barely even known. He was fat, dumpy. Pear-shaped. He didn't look good at all, Ace says. Ace says he didn't even know what the kid was thinking coming to the school, but he did have charisma, though. Ace says they put the kids together, and they wrestled week in and week out. They never missed a practice. They became friends. And then so at that point, Ace told them, work every weekend you could, You can. Work your way up. Work for nothing. Work for videotapes. Work whatever, whatever you can do, wherever you can do it. Just go do it. And he says the kids took heed. They did just that. They loved wrestling. One kid was in college. One had a job, but they shared the desire that for wrestling. A says, fast forward one of the kids goes to England and they name shows after him. He's got a marketing degree, he's a marketing genius. He's selling CDs and lucha masks, he's making his bucks. The other kid is doing dark matches for the Fed, as Ace says. He's the pear shape is gone. He now works out harder than anybody in the gym. You would not believe that these were the same two guys they used to be. Ace says he taught these two just about everything he knows, and tonight's like watching your two kids going at it. He doesn't know if he wants to laugh or cry, but he just wants to observe. He tells us that he's talking about Colt and Punk and he says if we're stupid if we didn't realize that at this point, which I thought was a very funny, very Ace East, East Steel kind of thing to give this like very heartfelt thing and being like, I'm talking about Punk and Steel. If you're stupid, if you don't know that. And he says they started in Ring of Honor with a single match. That's how people heard of them. That's how they were booked out around the Indies. And he says one fall tonight will not decide it because one fall is just three seconds. It could be a screw up. So he says tonight he wants to see them wrestle for three falls, and he's going to be watching there with all of us. And there isn't going to be a dry ice, a dry eye in the house. There, there might be some dry ice to make some smoke for the, the in the fog machine. But anyway, um, Matt, I thought this was you know very ace deal but very good. You know he he had a perspective that he could offer. That no one else could, you know, as their trainer. I think he offered that about the idea of seeing, like, you know, he gave a promo about like, look how far these guys have come, and isn't it crazy that they're where they are now? Like, not just Punk, but Colt too.
1: Yeah, no, I I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Like, it was a true, it was a true story. You know, like he's not like the world's greatest delivered promo, but it was, you know, told the good true story, and it made me crave a delicious pear.
0: (laughs) It's funny because after this, to do some research last night, I quickly pulled up the uh, the WWE produced. uh, punk best of the world dvd doc and i watched
1: i I watched that recently too just i mean i think probably a lot of us did lately but yeah. yeah
0: I rewatched just like the parts of it, mostly because I wanted to see what he said about the Ring of Honor stuff. And also, I, because of this promo, I was like, are there any young, cause I remember there were young pictures of him, like, was he pear-shaped? And I would say there were one or two pictures of punk as a youngster where he looked on the chubbier side. But for the most part, he looked pretty skinny as a dude. It's like, I, I, for some reason, I had a hard time imagining like a pear-shaped, like he really leans into that pear-shaped dumpy CM punk. But, there are a couple of pictures you can find that he's chubby, but for the most part, I don't know. It, 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 it's interesting that that's the way he remembers them. Well, but. you know,
1: like guys who are like muscular wrestlers maybe have a different standard of what could, constitutes fat and thin and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely would probably be we, – we would be pear-shaped. You know, you – you would no, I think, Matt, you're in good shape. He would probably say you're more asparagus, Chase. You're, <laughs> probably. <laughs> Um, I got muscular
1: like, legs from biking, but my upper body could use some work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I need to get – I'm not quite in pear shape, but I need to get more into asparagus shape. But anyway, um, Ring of Honor tag team title match. B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs defeated James Gibson and Spanky in 17 minutes, 28 seconds, thus successfully defending their titles. And they did so when Whitmer pinned Gibson after Spanky turned on Gibson, hitting him with a super kick in the Slice bread number two. And then Gibson just was able to get the pin right afterwards. Um, uh, Matt. Since I took two matches in a row mistakenly earlier, I said you were going to take two in a row, and I believe, Matt. What do you think about this match? Because I also think you said that you were going to disagree with the crowd reactions later in the night. I have a feeling—is this going to be what you disagree with, or is it going to be another match? No, it's up? it's
1: it's mainly this one. Um, so good call. Um, I um so yeah, so this match, like I thought it was, you know, before the ending, which I'll talk about, like it was going along fine like i don't think it was very good like i think there was solid work um you know they start out slowly you know the crowd pops actually pretty big for jacobs when he's tagged in especially at the beginning although he gets taken down pretty much immediately but the crowd really liked jimmy jacobs um i will say that um spanky and gibson you know i don't know like the crowd i was surprised that the crowd wasn't more into them as a team you know gibson has been so over on all these shows but um you know, he was. I feel like the crowd was was more on the side of the tag team champions here, um, at least early on. Um, you know, and they and they do some fast sequences. Like there's a, there's a sequence where um, Spanky hits Whitmer. Um, so basically, um, Whitmer throws Spanky into the air, and Spanky hits Whitmer with a Rana on the way down. And they do the sequence where Spanky hits a crossbody off the ropes, and he goes for a slice bread on Whitmer, but Whitmer Whitmer counters with a neck breaker. Which I don't think I've seen before.
0: Yeah, that was really cool.
1: Yeah, I thought it was one of the best, one of the better spots. And, and Spanky goes to the outside and Gibson helps him back in. And while this is going on, Prazek announces that the first Gibson title defense will be in New Jersey the following week against Homicide. Um, so um, now that Spanky's neck is hurt, the, the – Champions go to work on it, and they're you know Jacobs is dropping repeated elbows on it, and this kind of gives him gets to one of my pet peeves of this match, which I'll come back to. But they work on the neck a lot, and um you know like they 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 do a quick elbow drop drop kick combination. Whitmer drops Jacobs onto Spanky in like a splash. Um, Jacobs reverses a, a Northern light suplex into a DDT, gets a two count. Um, Spanky actually does a cool tornado DDT where he kicks off of Jacobs, who's on the apron on the way, and, and like kicks him down uh, onto the floor uh, and to do the tornado DDT, which I thought was cool. Um, and Spanky then does this big dramatic role, tags in Gibson. And Gibson is a house of fire, but the crowd is not going wild here, which is part of why I say I think they were on the champion side here. Um, and, uh, you know, Gibson goes for the choke. Um, whitmer tries to ram him into the corner but that really doesn't work so whitmer just does a northern lights but gibson still holds on so jacobs has to break that up and then spanky knocks jacobs to the floor um whitmer hits an exploder on gibson uh he picks up gibson spanky comes off the top drop kicks gibson helping him fall on top of whitmer for a two count at that moment i was like was that the heel turn but no he was he was drop kicking gibson for an offensive move um you know they they do a bunch of back and forth stuff. Um, Whitmer lifts Spanky for the doomsday Rana, but Spanky victory rolls Whitmer and Jacobs jumps over into a spine buster by Gibson um, and then Gibson gets tagged in again. He yells, "Tiger driver and goes for it, but suddenly Spanky super kicks him, hits a slice bread number two, and allows Whitmer to pin him, so like I said like they, there were some good sequences there. I feel like just like the crowd reactions were weird, and it didn't quite. I don't know. It just didn't quite totally click for me. But what what bugged me about the matches, and I always hate this um, when a tag team partner turns on his partner, is that it doesn't make sense that Spanky would put himself in the position to get his neck beat on for fifteen minutes if he was just going to turn on his partner anyway. And which is what the implication was, like, that he was – like, this was a plan, right? Like, nothing happened. It's not like Gibson accidentally hit him and made Spanky mad. Like, Spanky just super-kicked him out of nowhere. So he just worked that whole match, got his ass kicked, got his neck hurt, and for what? Like, yes, Spanky is just being evil, but, like, even in the promo he does after the match, which is not super easy to understand what he says because of the audio system, but – I still didn't quite get – Gibson had already agreed to give him a title shot, so I'm not really clear what Spanky's motivation was. And I certainly don't understand his tactic of of, um, wrestling a whole hard match before doing the turn. And then, of course, the other thing that really drove me nuts was the crowd who was chanting for Spanky. Now you tell me what possible reason this crowd could have had to chant for Spanky during this entire thing? Like Gibson is beloved. Spanky doesn't do anything super cool. Like like what what like I don't other than just it's cool to cheer a heel. Why would they cheer Spanky? Like that's an annoying thing about ROH crowds.
0: Yeah, it, the whole thing is weird, and I, I completely agree with everything from the booking to the match quality. I, I felt about this match. I think the way you felt about a. Uh, aries and ray which is like there was just kind of something dead and missing about it like i would say like this is like barely three stars like it's it, it, there's enough good work here like these are talented people there's just something missing there's it, it's just i i guess it's maybe because one it's following a really really great tag match but two it's um like there's nothing that really differenti- differentiates this match from in, in a way that makes it memorable or special. Like it's two-faced teams. There's no real storyline into the match. There's no real there's no existing feud. The, like you were saying, it's it's kind of strange that, you know, Jacobs and Whitmer are more over than the champ. <laughs> and like and you know, Jimmy uh, Jacobs in particular is super over here in the early minutes. Um you know there's a few co- there's a few cool spots and some all around decent work, but it's just there's something missing about this match, and then it's like it's like,
1: yeah. it's like the crowd wants to cheer Gibson when he's the underdog fighting uphill, and once he makes it to the mountaintop, they lose interest in him
0: yeah will, and I think we will see that on the next show too, like how quickly things change, which is really bizarre, fickle. but
1: he's fickle fans, Yeah, exactly.
0: but yeah, I completely agree about the booking it is always like. Like, look, look, there are – in wrestling, there are the reasons why you do things from a booking standpoint and there's the reasons why characters would do things from like an in-character k vape storyline standpoint and sometimes they don't line up. Like the reason why in wrestling someone turns – 17 minutes into a tag match instead of in minute one is because they don't want to false advertise a match and they want to give the fans what they had promised but also give them the turn but yeah in storyline it never makes any sense why spanky would not have turned on on gibson you know in the first minute and it's especially because as you mentioned you know gibson in storyline had promised Spanky like uh, the night before, you know. Spanky asked for a title shot, and Gibson basically hugs him and says yes. The, on the opening of this show, Spanky asked for a title shot, and Gibbs and, and Gibson says yes. So like the idea that Gibbs, like he, you know, we'll get to it after, but you know, Spanky cuts his promo where he's like, "It's business. I just had to do this to get a title shot." Like. No, you didn't. He he asked. I mean, they could have worked out a storyline where he was resistant, but he didn't. And um, and they
1: could have booked a tag match where Spanky gets fed up because Gibson does something to him, which you've seen in a lot of tag matches where so, there's tension and then someone accidentally hits somebody and that's what causes the breakup. They didn't even bother doing that here.
0: Yeah, and, and on top of that... Gibson is right about to hit the Tiger Driver, you know, which is one of his finishers when Spanky turns on him. And it's like, Spanky, this whole storyline that, you know, him and Gibson have been doing the whole year has been like, you know, they just, they're super, all we can talk about is titles, 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 titles. They're super goal oriented. They want those titles. They want any titles. You know, conceivably, Spanky was seconds away from being a tag team champion. Like he could have let Gibson win and then attacked him. Even if he wanted to do that, like, like he cost himself potentially the chance to be a champion. I get the world title probably means more to most wrestlers in storyline than the tag titles, but still even that doesn't make sense. Like you're waiting to the moment where you're about to probably win a belt. And then you go, well, I want this other belt that you already said you'd give me a shot at. And, like you said, it all gets even weirder because more, more than more. So I think some fans food, but far more. I think cheer spanky to the whole thing. It's just bizarre all the way around. So
1: I can't think of a single reason why the crowd would be on Spanky's side here. I genuinely can't. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Just that turns are cool, and we saw something notable, I guess. But I, I don't think it's a good turn. But I don't know. Um. After the match, Spanky gets a mix of cheers and boos, but more cheers as he throws – he just throws the tag by belts to Moffat when we're like, here, take them. Uh, the crowd end up chanting for Spanky at this point. Spanky starts cutting a promo, and as Matt mentioned, it is one that is near impossible to, to decipher over the sound system. It was hard to hear a lot of promos tonight. This one, you just I, – I tried. I, I can't make it out. Um, he, he keeps stomping Gibson as he cuts it, and the fans are cheering at what Spanky is saying. Um, he I can make out at the end, he does say that this was a business decision. You know, it's not personal. And he slaps Gibson in the face. Spanky says, I'll be getting that title shot pretty soon. And then he leaves. And some people boo him, but a lot of other people cheer him. And again, it just, it doesn't make sense. It feels like, you know, I know Gabe has said that, like, He had always planned for Gibson to be champion, but him signing forced him to kind of – he decided to do it anyway and probably – you know his reign was probably shorter than what what he had originally planned. And we had saw like months earlier he was playing seeds of tension between Spanky and Gibson. So I'm sure he had planned for like a Spanky heel turn and a Spanky Gibson feud later in the year. But this just – maybe this changed how he was going to do it, but it just – like, quite frankly, did he Spanky even need to turn on his way out? Like, people, I think, would have been interested in just a Spanky Gibson title match. Like
1: Right, in ROH, babyface title matches are not unusual. In fact, Gibson has one with Cabana a couple weeks after this, so I don't really see... Yeah, and, you know, the booking of this angle doesn't get much better, uh, as they're going to blow the entire thing off uh, the following show, and we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, and... uh yeah, it is just. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if it, if all of this was just the effort to like kind of rush or combine things into a quick thing to get over with. Because yeah, the whole angle ends on the next show, but it it, it doesn't. It, whatever the intent was, it doesn't work out in, in my opinion. And I, and I think we'll see in the fans' opinion on the next show. And that brings us to Roderick Strong defeating Matt Hardy via pinfall in twenty three minutes fifty two seconds with a roll up. Um, as Roddy makes his ring entrance, the crowd is already chanting, fuck him up, Roderick, fuck him up. Uh, at that point, Jimmy Ray and Alex Shelley attempt to jump the ring, but Roddy attacks them just as they're jumping on the ring apron, like he sees them coming. He's not gonna get attacked from behind here. And, uh, as they're trying to get in through the ropes, he just hits them. The camera turns, and we see that Ares and Matt Seidel are already coming to the ring to add backup. Ares is hitting Matt Prince Nana, who has also come back out. Ares and Seidel brawl with the embassy to the back, and the crowd resumes chanting, fuck them up, Roderick, fuck them up. So just a little thing to add to the embassy generation next feud, I guess.
1: And, and attention At, to detail to explain why there's no interference in this match, which I appreciate.
0: Yeah, it works out well. And then after the bell rings... Before the match even starts, there's a mix of cheers and boos. I would say on this night, it was probably like 60 to 60, maybe 65% if I was going that specific. Cheers for Roderick versus cheers for Matt. Um, Before a single move happens, Hardy actually, after the bell rings, but before they started wrestling, grabs the mic and he waits for the crowd to get quiet. Instead, the fans start to – this just riles them up more, starts to loudly chant, shut the fuck up because they're anticipating he's going to start talking. And then Matt says, I can't shut up if I haven't said anything, which gets all his fans cheering. Matt then proceeds to cut a promo we can't understand once again over the sound system, and then they have a match. And I would say it's a good match. I would say this is maybe in some ways slightly better – than his last two matches and maybe one way I can say there's a flaw in it that the other two don't have, but I would say it's another like three and a half star good enough match. I think Matt Hardy is trying to have a, you know, good matches and um, in some ways it's better because it's got a clean finish here. It's got maybe a little more action packed. It's a little more hard hitting, you know, because Roderick's kind of takes them there to that place. Um, I think Matt's biggest change in wrestling here is kind of a slight one, which I think is actually a very smart one. Which is, you know, this crowd, there's still a significant contingent of of, of Matt Hardy fans, and we can hear c- certainly some of the women cheering that you wouldn't normally hear at a Ring of Honor show, you know, and some lots of men too, you know. And he probably there were, like the last show, there were people that probably came just to see Matt Hardy, but because there are more fans that are ever booing him, I feel like he was in this really difficult spot because when you're in this place where the fans are you know kind of on your side some are in your side and some aren't how do you play to that and i think he did the really smart job here which is he doesn't play heel but he just poses more often which sounds like a simple thing but he kind of does it with a bit of a smirk but it's just enough where it's like why i think it works is it's because it like it does. It works for both sides. Like if you're a fan that hates Matt Hardy on this night, him posing a little more often and playing and just being a little more cocky in that sense, it's inflaming the fans that hate him. But for all the fans that love him, it's just an opportunity for him to, for them to cheer him to be like, "Yeah, you are cool," and I love that. He's just kind of leaning into it a bit more on both sides, but he's not. You know, he's, he he does not play the heel here. Uh, I would say the biggest negative in this match actually comes from Roderick Strong, you know, who's a, a really good wrestler. Um, in the middle of the match, it feels like they're in this search for a body part for Ryde to sell because they they have Ryde do the spot where he goes to chop Matt on the outside, but Matt avoids it and he chops the ring post. Which usually when you see that spot, it usually ends up with the guy like selling the arm for the rest of the match, but they don't do that. Like they uh, uh, drop that within like one more. I think Matt like rams his arm to the post and then they instantly stop that. Then Matt looks like oh it's, he's going to work over his head and neck because he does a couple moves in the ring focused on that. But then after that he immediately go starts working over the leg. He does some leg offense and he even does figure four. At that point Roddy comes up and he's really selling that his leg is shot. Like he's selling it limping like almost like he can't put weight on his leg. And I think the problem with this match for me is Roddy the rest of the way. Like you can sell an injury in a couple ways, well, a million ways, but there's a couple ways like where. You can either sell it for the whole rest of the match or you could sell it for like a minute or two and then kind of shake it off and be like, well, it hurt in the moment but I've recovered. Roddy does this thing where he like – some for the rest of the match, sometimes he will do that motion where it's like he's walking like he can barely put weight on it. And then other times he like hits a perfect – picture perfect drop kick or he does this move where he literally puts Matt Hardy in a full Nelson using his legs and he doesn't sell his legs at all and you think, oh – well, I guess Matt Roderick's recovered from the leg injury. And then a minute or two later, he's back to acting like he can't walk on his leg again. And I felt like, you know, I'm not the biggest stickler on selling stuff. I, I'm probably, you know, I can get on a sometimes. But, the, you know, there's a lot of times where I go, that's good enough selling. I thought this was a rare time in recent Ring of Honor matches we've been watching where I felt like that's kind of like – I, I, I was just kind of thinking to myself, watching it, like pick a direction and go with it. either you know forget about it completely or go all the way. But you were kind of doing trying to do it both ways, and I didn't like that. Um, but I thought the match w- was good. I, I felt like. Like the match the night before with Matt Hardy, the the crowd really got into those final near falls. You could tell what was getting to the end, the fans that were really on Matt Hardy were like living and dying on the idea of like we really wanted Roddy to win. I kind of wish Roddy would have gotten a bit more of a definitive win than just a roll-up. I wish he had just hit like a, a half Nelson backbreaker rather than a, a roll-up. Because even though it, it was a clean win, you know, sometimes a roll-up feels a little less – victorious than just you hit your move and you get the pin. But overall, I thought it was a good match. And, you know, probably, again, the same level Matt's had all his Ring of Honor run.
1: Um, yeah, I like this match a lot more than you. Um, wow. I thought this was easily a four-star match. Um, and in fact, I'd go even further. Like, Matt Hardy doesn't have, like, in his whole career, so many super memorable, memorable singles matches right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, like, what, when you think of great Matt Hardy singles matches, what comes to mind?
0: I see that. It's hard for me to think, but I will tell you this, Matt, you know, we are part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, and you go on to those Pro Wrestling Only boards, there are people who, like, be uh, where Matt Hardy's beloved, and particularly, like, stuff like the ECW title reign he had, like, they love his TV work there, and no, I don't think that, that doesn't represent necessarily the majority view, but there are people that do think Matt Hardy like has had but even then I can't think of those matches.
1: Yeah, like which matches? Like exactly. Yeah, um, and I you know I remember there was a really good match like he main evented SmackDown with Rey Mysterio in 2003 for the Cruiserweight title. That was a really good match. Um you know he's definitely had some the cage match against Edge. Um but I think this is pretty high on the list of best Matt Hardy singles matches. Um and I think what you know the the selling stuff like I, I mean, I, I think that there were some issues as far as like when Roderick Strong hit his hand against the the guardrail, like they should have they should have worked on that right and like yeah. the um, the uh, the the you know the word the, the leg selling I thought was you know was good it added some drama to the to the match but I actually think this best the best selling of the match belongs to Matt Hardy. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but especially when Roderick hit his first chop on Matt and his first few chops, really, the look on Matt's face was just perfect. Like this, oh my God, like, you know, and you know, I'm sure it was partially not selling, but I think there was a lot of intent behind it too. Like, just like, oh my God, this is not like a chop that I felt before. (laughs) Like that was really great. And I think that added a lot, um, in fact, at one point, Leonard calls Strong the heaviest hitter in ROH, which, you know, normally I would be okay with. But after we what we just saw between Joe and Loki, I'm gonna say no, no, <laughs> he is not the heaviest hitter in ROH. But that that still, that being said, I think that, um, you know, I think Matt did really well here. I think first of all, he reacts so much better to the booze than Jeff Hardy did, you know. Yeah. Like he, like he knew they were coming. He embraced them. He was okay with it. And I do think that he works subtle heel. I know you're saying, "What you're?" I know what you're saying. Like he just like poses more. But I think the look on his face, you know, the way he sneers at the crowd, you know, you're right. He's not cheating. But I do think he played subtle, subtle here. It's heel. It's like, um, you know how like Meltzer would talk about the old champions, like a like a like a Jack Briscoe or like a Bockwinkle, like like doing yeah. like subtle heel play, you know in the match, that's what he was doing. He, he was not. Yeah. It's
0: healed to the people that hate him. I think what works is it's not going to make the fans that like him have, feel like they have to boo him.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, um, Matt, um, Ch- Strong's chops do seem very brutal in the match. You know, the crowd really comes alive when Strong takes the advantage. Although they're never qu- quiet. Like Matt Hardy in this era is a heat magnet. And the crowd is super into this pretty long match. And what I think this match really gets over well is that it is physically taxing. These guys seemed exhausted. They seemed drained. And the crowd really cares about who wins. And I think, you know, if you look back to the matches that we watched on this show up to this one, The crowd doesn't care that much about who wins. They like they either cheering for both or booing both, or you know what I mean. They they didn't really have a strong feeling about who they wanted to win that Joe and Lethal and Rottweiler's tag match. You know, they they I guess they subtly approved of the tag team champions in the tag title match, but they weren't desperately wanting one side or the other to win. They really really care that Roderick wins this match, and they're chanting, "Please don't tap when Hardy gets, um, you know, gets him in a hold." And they're um, and they're chanting tap when Roderick gets Matt Hardy in the Boston Crab, and you know they they really really care and the crowd and it really I think um, motivates the wrestlers to work harder. And by the end of the match, you just have this really dramatic scene. And yeah, I too would have preferred a more decisive win. But the back work did play into the finish because, you know, Strong kept working on the back, kept working on the back. And then when Hardy finally goes for another side effect and Strong reverses that into the roll-up, it's because Hardy's back gives out. So I think, you know, I think the, the finish played off well. The crowd went nuts for the whole match. You know, I think the match really got over, I think, I think it really benefited Jeff. I mean, not Jeff. Jeez, uh, Roderick. Where am I getting Jeff from? Um, <laughs> what if I just call Roderick Jeff from now on? Um, <laughs> Jeff Strong. And um, and yeah, I think this is easily Hardy's best match in ROH. And I like the other two, so I don't think that's faint praise. And I think this is, you know, again, not the best singles match Matt Hardy's ever had, but I think it's a pretty high on the list of ones I've seen.
0: And I think now we're at the end of the three Matt Hardy matches in Ring of Honor because this is his final Ring of Honor match until years and years later. Um, Like for everything, you know, we've we've talked a ton about Matt Hardy on a couple other episodes and about the booking and why fans might have turned on him and all the various reasons and all that stuff. But like he unquestionably – had gave a, a strong effort even you even if i didn't like this match quite as much as you i think we both agree all of the matches all of them were at least good and he he worked hard in all of them and by all accounts from some notes i'll read now and i've read on other shows like he was good to work with and signed signed autographs for everybody and was good to deal do business with like even the idea of I am sure there are some wrestlers in history that if they were in Matt Hardy's situation where they had a bunch of indie dates and then they get to re-sign with WWE out of nowhere. They would have just blown off the indies. Other wrestlers have done it, and he fulfilled his commitments, you know, and put a guy over on the way out. So, you know, for everything you know that we could, people would say about Matt Hardy and all the booing they had of him, you know, he did the right thing, you know, in his little run.
1: Yeah. Now I posted an article um, that actually was shared by. Um by Ricky Kobos, a listener um, uh, that um, was, um, and I'll and I'll get the name of the author just so I can, you know, give credit to that. But um, um, about you know some a little bit of a deeper dive into you know the whole Matt Hardy Edge Lita situation um, at that you know at that time, but you know. I think it was by uh, Colette Arendt and um, you know, uh, it's. I think you know it goes into it a lot more than we could. And Matt Hardy certainly wasn't necessarily the hero that some people treated him as during that whole thing. But yeah. in terms of his behavior uh, as a wrestler in ROH and what he did for the wrestlers that he worked with and for the company, I think that he had a very net positive effect.
0: And so I have our old friend Jason Detrick. He's back, and I might have a second bone to pick with him. This is this like me at a rib place, man. I'm going for two bones. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you at a rib place, huh? I
0: I have. So this is Jason Detrick's live report. I have to say I'm embarrassed at how caught up in the moment I got. I was yelling at Hardy I was yelling things at Hardy that I don't even remember, but they were bad. Bad enough that Carrie Silken and the Timekeeper kept looking back at me with a look that said,
1: geez, lighten up. Was that the timekeeper from Comedy Bang Bang? <laughs> the very timekeeper? The <laughs>
0: um the match started very slow and wwe style which really frustrated the crowd okay it didn't frustrate the crowd because they were too busy trying to get chants over the following is a list of some of the chants for this match roderick's gonna kill you fuck him up roderick fuck him up matt's a pussy pussy whipped we want snitsky snitsky's bitch we want edge Edge Edge's bitch slut matt's a slut matt's a jobber die matt die Great match with tons of emotion and heat. I was shocked that Matt put Strong over. After the match, Matt cut a cheap promo trying to get himself over with those who were booing him. He even said something to the effect of, even though you guys are kind of hard on me, I still love you guys. And said we should be happy for guys like CM Punk, Gibson, and Spanky. Then Hardy walked to the back, knowing full well that he'll never get a reaction this big, whether it be positive, negative, or a mixture of both, for the rest of his life. Jason Detrick, I hope you've grown up a little. Bit. That's all I'll say. Um,
1: <laughs> boy it's funny that this guy is just like existing in the world, having no idea that you're like ranting about him on a podcast <laughs> about something I mean, about that, something that he wrote sixteen years ago i feel like I feel like he's not on with the problem <laughs> you know what that's we are, so, we, I, we, this, we, we are and that's fine
0: Matt I've read a lot of live reports i I generally. Uh, you, you, we've done seventy-five shows now, Matt. Have I ever done this before with a live report person? No. This guy needs to tone it down a little. Turn it. Turn. Turn the volume down a couple of notches, buddy. Um. <laughs> anyway, the observer wrote. Apologies to Jason Jetrick. I'm sure you're a fine person who is a mature adult who pays his taxes and is a nice to his friends. Um. And moving poss- on. And
1: possibly you're 88 years old.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um. Moving on, The Observer wrote about this match, Hardy put over Roderick Strong in Chicago Ridge and had no qualms about doing it, saying he wanted to make someone on the way out. Gabe Sapalsi told him that Strong had done a lot of jobs, but he wanted to push him, and one win over Hardy will erase every job he did. Hardy worked his ass off to have good matches, even though the people were really on him. They were even worse in Chicago than Dayton, where he was booed out of the place, with chants of, we'd rather have Jeff, Die Matt Die, and even chance for Snitsky. Before the match when he grabbed the mic, there were chants of shut the fuck up that wouldn't stop until Hardy said, Technically, I can't shut up if I haven't said anything. He then told the crowd that they were they have the right to cheer him or boo him when they paid for a ticket. Still, after the match, Hardy thanked Ring of Honor and the Ring of Honor fans, even the fans who weren't cheering for him, and said the fans would be happy for should be happy for people like Punk, Gibson and Spanky having the chance to go to WWE, and that others will follow. Uh, I, I guess we should say since this has already been now been referenced a couple of times, the the uh, the Matt Hardy speech he gives after the match where he talks about that stuff that does not make the DVD. We see him hug and and shake hands and hug Roddy, but if he I guess he cuts the speech after that that they cut that out. This show was pressed for time, but that does not make it. Um, the Protesting Torch wrote. Ring of Honor promoter slash booker Gabe Sapolsky tells The Torch that he's pleased with how Matt Hardy handled his recent Ring of Honor dates. Quote, Matt Hardy is a true professional in every sense. He worked his ass off for our fans. He could have phoned it in both nights and saved himself for SummerSlam, but instead he had a goal to make Ring of Honor a better place, and he did that by putting on two great matches and then putting over Roderick Strong. He wanted to help make someone, and he happily put over Strong, and now Strong is greatly elevated. He's a guy that completely gets it. He was great on playing off the crowd whether they were booing him or cheering him and he had a great time I can't thank Matt enough for what he did for Ring of Honor and again I just do think you're you're
1: very welcome Gabe
0: <laughs> I, I I do. I, thank you, Matt, and thank you for Hulkamania. But um, Matt, I do think it's funny that again, for those who have been listening to recent episodes, how Matt uh, Gabe has gone from saying, you know, anyone that would think that our fans would boo Matt Hardy as an idiot, to I want to thank Matt for how professional he was for dealing with the booze tonight.
1: Like, it is funny. It is, it is funny, but you know, a lot changed between that first quote, so I don't think. I don't think it reflects as badly on Gabe as uh, it sounds.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, And that brings us, Matt, to the main event. Uh, It's a best two out of three falls match. Colt Cabana defeated CM Punk two falls to one in 27 minutes, 42 seconds. Uh, Punk won the first fall in 1238 when he uh, hit Colt with his own move, the Colt 45 and pinned him. Uh, Colt tied it up 1-1 in 16 minutes and three seconds after he hit a big lariat. And then um, Colt won the match two falls to one in 2742 when he reversed a cradle of Punk's into one of his own. So Matt, before I throw it to you, I guess we should talk about the entrance because that is probably well, in some, many ways more memorable than the match.
1: It's honestly all I was going to talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, I actually have a recap of the entrance even. Um, before the match, we start with what I would describe as one of the most famous ring entrances in Ring of Honor history. Uh, Gone is called a personality, the theme he had been using for the whole summer of Punk Run. Instead, Punk's classic Ring of Honor theme of Miseria Cantare – plays and it plays out in its entirety and punk does not come out for it the fans the fans clap along with it and everything for the whole theme and it ends and at that point a new song starts playing one that you know punk has never used at least in never in ring of honor probably never in wrestling up to this point it's called night train it's by a band called the bouncing souls And it's lyrics – I went back and I found the lyrics online and I read them off and I'm not going to include all the lyrics but most –
1: I'm going to read off some because – It says goodbye a lot. It's all about goodbye and
0: Like most of the lyrics are – like it's a perfect theme in, in terms of lyrically because the lyrics include goodbye to me and you, goodbye to the life we knew, one last long embrace, then go and walk on through. I'm leaving everything behind for a piece that I can't find i um, going down south to dream another dream. This town is dead to me and I can't stop chasing my dreams. I love you more than anything, but what you want, I can never be. I love you more than anything, but I'll be alone. Can't we both be free? Goodbye to me and you. Goodbye to the life we knew. Wipe the tears from your eyes, then go and walk on through. And in fact, Punk does in the middle of this promo, I mean, in this, this song, walk through the curtain. And we see not, not just that he's crying, but that he's been crying because he's got the big puffy red eyes. This is not like a single solemn tear dripping down the face. Like he's got that kind of that ugly crying face that we've all had where you've been crying for a while and you just, you know, you don't look great. Um, he's going down and doing a very unpunk thing where he is slapping hands with basically everybody in the entire front row Um as he goes to the ring, Colt holds the ropes open for him so he – as he enters the ring and Punk drops to his knees in the middle of the ring and what will prove to be like an in- iconic shot is the cover of the DVD box, which by the way, the Punk the Final Chapter is like one of the cooler DVD covers I think Ring of Honor ever made. It's like stark black and white, got a great shot. It's you know a teary-eyed Punk on his knees as he just – the ring is just completely filled with streamers, which is an insane amount. Um Punk wipes his eyes. He poses. The crowd chants his name. They chant, please don't go. They chant, thank you, Punk. After brief inter- ring introductions, we see uh, – or after ring introductions, we see A-Steel sit at ringside. Punk and Cabana hug in the middle of the ring before the match even starts. Samoa Joe comes to ringside and grabs a chair to watch. And I guess, Matt, before we even get to the match, I mean just – I mean it's one of the most emotional ring entrances I think you will ever see. Like I, I mean for people that talk about – like the the ring entrance that rampage of punk's return that is in some ways as emotional but it's a different kind of emotional but this is i think on a different level because obviously obviously it's more intimate and it's it's that bittersweet emotion where you're happy for the guy but you're also kind of sad and he's feeling the same way where like you know it's his choice to leave but he realized like of all people like later in the show I have a great quote from Dave Meltzer that I think honestly sums it up better than anyone else could. But like, just what do you? How do you feel like watching this again? I mean, it's it's a crazy moment.
1: Like I said, I mean, like the the match like is completely secondary to the entrance. Like that's what people were waiting for all night was Punk's entrance, and Punk knows how to make an entrance, man. Like when it's when it's important, he knows how to make an entrance. Whether you know you go back to that cage match we reviewed uh, for uh, nowhere to run, or you talk about Money in the Bank. 2011 or you talk about wrestlemania 29 or uh, the the first dance with aew like punk knows how to make it emotional dramatic entrance and this might have been the most emotional of all you know with the you know he also loves hugging all the fans when he's emotional which he does here dr keith even gets a fist bump in <laughs> um you know when he's being introduced he like yells ah, i can't stop crying um i actually liked uh when colt was introduced because he does a funny thing where the crowd starts cheering for him and he's like no no cheer for punks and he's like oh no you know never mind okay and he starts smiling and waving and like taking in the cheers for himself um colt was definitely like you know very very funny tonight like in a good way um so yeah i mean just yeah one of the you know one of the great entrances in the history of roh the the greatest probably
0: So um, for the match itself, like you said, like I would describe this, uh, this match and this whole night, it's basically a victory lap for Punk. Like you said, the match is secondary. Um, It almost feels weird to review it. But, you know, they did work for almost half an hour. So I I will say some thoughts about it. Yeah, and I Um, I have have a
1: few things to say also.
0: yeah. Yeah. So... You know, I'm sure there was lots of callbacks in this match to their entire history.
1: Gabe keeps saying, like, oh, that's from their old matches, and I'm like, okay, I guess so. It sounds yeah, nice. obviously
0: they had lots of matches that we never saw. In fact, um, on commentary they even reference – in fact, I, I should point out, you know, Gabe joins Prezak for the commentary on this, and the commentary is like – a fun part of this match because even the commentary is heartwarming because you, you know, Prezak was friends with Punk and w- came up with them only in the IWA itself. Obviously Gabe cl- was close to Punk and there's a lot of reminiscing even from them during this match. And, and even they sometimes have that vibe of, they're not always focusing on the match as much. And at one point, Gabe even says, I wonder if the guys in the ring are really have their minds all on this match, you know, because, you know, it, it, a lot of this is just being in that moment of realizing, Oh, this guy's leaving and God, this is, you know, again, really bittersweet, and, and there's a lot of you know reminiscing about oh that move like this, or you remember that moment, or all this stuff.
1: And it could and also, even, in their minds, theoretically, be the last time the two of them ever get to wrestle each other. You know, and, yeah, and, and it actually might have been. Now that I think I about mean, it, I
0: mean, they did work, I think, a tag together. I've mentioned before for like. Floor FCW and developmental, but in terms of wrestling each other, yeah, and you know, yeah, people could say they're in AEW now, but let's face it—if you know their personal history, there's a very real chance they might never want to do something with each other ever again. um On on the commentary, they even mentioned that I was going to say, in fact, that in talking about this being a two out of three falls match, I forget if it was Prayzeck or Gay, but they mentioned that. A two and a three falls match they did in, like, uh, I forget if it was Minneapolis or Wisconsin or somewhere there in the Midwest was the match that they actually sent to Ring of Honor. I think it's Gabe that says this, that got them noticed and got them booked in Ring of Honor. So in that way, that's a nice touch to make this a two out of three falls match where it's a real coming full circle. It's the match that got us here and it's the way we're le- – you know, Punk is leaving the same way. And as, as far as a match, it, it, it really feels – Like there's no story to. There's a lot of comedy at first. They try and work this thing in the middle where Punk gets a little fed up with the comedy and the match gets a little more serious. But really, there's no real story. You know, they're not playing off of the uh, the summer of Punk storyline. In fact, you know, Punk is a pure babyface here. In fact, Gabe even tries to bless his heart, explain it by like, you know, the second Punk lost that had like all the bitterness, you know, dropped from him. You're like, he's still trying to sell it. Bless his heart. but the match, it, it, it's a basically, I would say it's like a three-star match. It's, it's, it's nothing special. The crowd's often quiet for a lot of it. It, it almost feels like maybe they're a little bit, you know, emotionally spent or, or kind of cop in their thought, own thoughts too. I, I felt that way, watch it myself. Uh, I sometimes had a hard time focusing on it. It feels in a lot of ways like a match where the two guys are just in the moment trying to think of things to do, which, you know, that's all the way a lot of the great matches are done. But in this way, you kind of – it kind of feels that way in maybe a not great way. Like it's just like, oh, what's a cool thing we could do? How about we try this? Okay. And there's also – I think it kind of they, – they try and do a lot of like quick calendars and chain sequences and, and things. And, and there is – I I do think it kind of exposes maybe their weaknesses, particularly punk where there's a lot of like kind of sloppy, ugly execution of things here. But again, it's a match where at the end of it, I feel guilty for even talking about it because like this night wasn't about the match. It's about the entrance. It's about the, 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 what happens after the match. It's about the fans getting to say goodbye. And that was all done. Amazing. And the match is almost, it's, it's incidental. It's not, it's just, it's just there as part of the night.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I got nothing negative to say about this match. Like, if these two really wanted to go out there and have a great match, they could have. They wanted to go out there and have fun and reminisce and, like, you know, do a thing for a crowd and still work hard. Like, I will say this. The match, they worked harder than I remembered. Like, it wasn't just, like, fooling around. Like, the first the first fall was fooling around. And I think, you know, there was definitely some some cute stuff. Like, some stuff I genuinely found heartwarming and funny um, in the both the commentary and the match. Like, at one point... I thought it was funny. Prazak actually was teasing Gabe over some of his booking because he was like, it's, isn't it so ridiculous that one of these two had to forfeit their plane ticket to shows early on in the feud? Like, he <laughs> I was, was like,
0: shocked he did that.
1: Yeah. It was, he, he, was razzed like, he razzed him. He razzed him. And Gabe actually goes, it's time to pay the bills. And he's about to do a um, – He's about to do plug. a plug and he's just like, you know what? Forget it. And I don't know if that was planned or not, but it sounded like it wasn't planned. Like, especially the way Prazak reacted, it's like, yeah, You're like, why, why would you do that? <laughs> like, and they keep it basic. They worked the crowd a lot in the first fall. You know, like you, like you said, there was occasional sloppiness. There was one line by Prazak that I thought was just a funny way of phrasing it, which is Prazak's talking about how Punk and Cabana's parents are in the audience. And he's like, and they're all there to watch their legitimate children go at it. And I was like, um, okay. Um, I guess they're, they're legitimate children, but like you know, they do a thing where they do a crisscross, and Cabana says, "Look up there," and Punk's like, "No." Like Cabana's like, "Look up there." He's like, "No, no, no, I'm not doing it." He's like, "You're supposed to look up," and Punk keeps refusing to look up. So, um, so Cabana just stomps his foot anyway and then punk yells at cabana to be serious so cabana stomps his other foot like and so punk comes back with a low blow and hits the cold 45 and that's how he wins so it's like kind of a comedy finish to that first fall you know and then the second fall you know gets a little bit more intense but cabana it's pretty quick cabana wins with the second fall and then um then they they do try to work a serious match in the third fall um You know, a lot of callbacks. Like I said, I'm just taking Gabe's word for some of them because I wouldn't have recognized them myself. But but they definitely you know do work hard. They hit you know like Punk does a um, a Rana from the apron to the floor. Uh, Cabana hits a big Asai moonsault. He gets a lot of air on that. Punk does a flare flip in the corner, but it seems extremely forced. And I was like, (laughs) okay, you know what? That's fine. I like it. Go ahead, man. punk actually hits a reverse rana on cabana which is the first time i've seen him do that since like their very early roh stuff um and then i don't know if you noticed this punk did a kenta sequence did you notice yes this?
0: he does the it's the first time i've ever seen him do it. this might have been the start of that he does the kenta like standing strike combo and then he hits the busaiku knee and like Praisek doesn't even know like to call it that like i think this might have been the i mean it's crazy like this is his last ring of honor match in a way i mean we'll get to it after but there's technically one more but like i think this is the only time in ring of honor he does like kenta offense
1: yeah well i mean it's the only time that i could ever think of him doing that sequence but um yeah he does not do the go to sleep but he does all the rest of kenta's finishing sequence um (laughs) which yeah hey you know what that's cool and then um you know you get you get the end of the match um there is one thing that i thought was really stupid i'll say negative which is cabana does like an an inverted ddt style sleeper off the ropes and then for some reason gabe feels the need to get in a dangerous and like yelling that it could be the end of punk's career and it's just like all right calm down because well he did
0: didn't you think Punk took a scary bump on that? Because it looked like he was going for an inverted suplex, superplex, and he kind of lost it. And instead, Punk basically takes like an inverted DDT off the second, right on his head. It looked like, like it, that, I thought that looked scary. Actually, well,
1: I I was distracted by Gabe's call because like Punk clearly was not interested in selling like it was scary. Because immediately after that, he just puts on the Anaconda device. Like, he, so he was obviously fine. Whatever it was, you know, I'm I'm sure it was a scary looking bump, but like he was fine um, um, and the crowd really didn't react much to the Anaconda device uh, uh, Punk yelled for Pepsi Plunge and you know doesn't obviously doesn't hit it and that's when they, they do their their con, their their um, there, their combo of roll ups and Punk at one point yells, "Come on, motherfucker!" So they are really trying to make the last fall serious. Uh, he starts kicking Cabana in the leg to get him in the Shining Wizard position. Then he hits the Shining Wizard, and then they do their Oklahoma roll reversals until Cabana leans all the way back and gets the pin. So I, I did think that they, you know, I did think the match was more than I remembered. I will say that because I, you know, I guess when I first watched it, I was just like not thinking about the match at all. Um, like i said if they wanted to have a great match they could have that's not what they were going for here but they worked hard they you know they were clearly just in it with the emotion and having fun together and that was the important thing and as soon as the match ended they hugged and if you're watching this segment you're not watching it for the match but well, but well, you know what good for them it was a perfectly good match
0: <laughs> i i was going to say also like like I wouldn't be surprised if also one thing that would hurt was just the emotion in the sense of like I was trying to think, could you imagine what I mean we've never one of us neither one of us have ever been wrestlers, but could you imagine if um like if you you just like cried your eyes out and then had to do like a twenty nearly twenty eight minute like intense physical acting and athletic performance like it'd be so like you know when you cry your eyes out you usually feel like kind of spent and and, like the idea of doing that and then like well now i've got to take bumps for 27 minutes like that seems kind of crazy to me
1: oh yeah totally i mean yeah totally They, they, they they were just i mean they were just so distracted i think especially punk um just because of the emotion of everything so i think that that's the um I think that's the uh, that's probably what did it. But, you know, again, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, there's yeah. I got nothing negative to say about it.
0: And so that brings us to the post-match. First, the Observer wrote, good match, but the crowd wasn't into the match itself at the end as much as people hoped. The post-match was tremendous. Almost every one of the wrestlers was getting misty. And I guess we should describe that post-match. So... After the match ends, Gabe says on commentary, thank you for everything CM Punk. Uh, the crowd gives Punk a standing ovation and loud thank you Punk chants. Punk and Colt share a long hug in the middle of the ring and they're having talking in each other's ear. You can't see – obviously hear what they're saying, but I can read lips well enough to see that Colt says I love you to Punk, which kind of heartbreaking considering where they're at now. Um Punk raises Colt's hand, and we see a lot of the locker room is coming to the ring to point to join them, led by who I thought was Punk's parents. But uh, listening to an honorable mention, it sounds like they t- were talking like th- this was Colt's parents. Um, anyway, it's an old man wearing a CM Punk t-shirt and a backwards-facing Ring of Honor cap and an older woman. I'm, pre- uh, I'm
1: pretty sure that that is Colt's dad, if I remember correctly from pictures. And I think and that's Colt's
0: mom. So, yeah. Um, Gabe is standing by the curtain just like he did the previous night where he's not going down to the uh, ring with everybody else because I think Gabe, you know, he's the kind of guy he doesn't want to take that kind of spotlight away from the guy, but he did kind of want to be outside and watch the moment.
1: You also had uh, uh, some of the, the big heels standing way back at the apron, at uh, the curtain, too, like uh, the Rottweilers and Jimmy Rave. Like, yeah. you know, they wanted to be there, but they wouldn't be in the ring. I did not see Spanky, though.
0: No. Um so uh, Samoa Joe gives Punk a long hug and we see that Punk is crying again. Uh Punk hugs uh Colt's parents. Uh Colts' mom gives him a kiss on the cheek. Uh Punk hugs the Ring of Honor owner, Carrie Silken. A steel hands Punk a mic and everyone gets down on one knee. They're just all sort almost the entire roster. They're they're surrounding Punk. Punk tells everyone to stand up. He says, "Ring of Honor is a family. Everyone's equal in this locker room." And at that point, it's funny. Like they're still hesitant to stand, even though he's telling them to stand. But James Gibson stand stands up before anyone else. And then everyone's like, "Oh, well, James is standing. We can stand." And then they all stand up. Uh, Gibson hugs Punk and Punk just is like happy and he just screams, "Armadillo!" Uh, Colt then at this point sneaks up behind Punk and showers him with Pepsi, pours it all over him. He then breaks out a champagne flute. He fills the, Pepsi, uh, the flute with Pepsi, hands it to Punk. Uh, Punk says every day lately he had been crying, so he didn't think he'd have tears left for tonight. But as soon as his music started and he heard you people, he started crying again. He says he loves this place. He says, just like Gibson said the other night, it's the best place on earth to wrestle with the best fans and the best locker room. Uh, Joe chugs a Pepsi at this point like Steve Austin almost. That was pretty funny. Uh, Punk says he has nothing else to say but thank you. He says this is honestly one of the best days of my life because of the fans and because of this locker room. He toasts Colt with the Pepsi, and they drank as the crowd chants, Thank you, Punk, again. Punk then adds a thank you from the bottom of his heart to Gabe Zapolsky, pointing him out at the curtain. He says it was a pleasure working with him for the last three years, and he calls him the brains of Ring of Honor. He also shouts out the pricks standing beside Gabe, who are Homicide and Low Key and Jimmy Rave, obviously, like Matt said, like the guys that were heels, that I guess they wanted to kind of keep their credibility in that sense. A laughing. We can see, it's funny, because at that point, we when we see them, Homicide is like, laughing and he's like flipping punk off but low-key is just standing like completely stone-faced being low-key even at this moment punk says when he sees homicide flip off he's like it's okay it takes one you know, he takes one to no one, you know, about like an asshole. Um, Punk says, I love you guys, too. And then he says, this is Ring of Honor. He says, it's about respect. It's about honor. It's about discipline. And th- those three letters mean to him is family. He says, this is his family. He says, say hello to the future of pro wrestling. There's more applause. Colt and Ace lift Punk on their shoulders. Colt starts one more CM Punk chant, and we fade to black. Um, you know, a great, great. Final – again, really one of the more heartwarming moments in Ring of Honor history and we just had one of the other heartwarming moments the night before. Uh, It's one of the rare times I think you'll see Punk kind of at a loss for words. I mean he does say some words obviously but you can tell he kind of – you know, he doesn't have a long speech to say. He's kind of – like he even says. Like I said at one point, he says like I really don't know what else to say and – It is funny. The one thing that we did not see on the DVD, the torch from the live report says on the stage, Punk leaped into Homicide's arms for a big hug. So they do not show that, unfortunately. That would have been fun to see.
1: Now, now, honestly, I was so distracted. The fact that he was covered in Pepsi, like that must have been so sticky. And I was just like, man, I hope there are no bees or mosquitoes (laughs) in the the building because like – You know, they're attracted to those sweet, sugary substances, and I I didn't, wouldn't want CM Punk to be stung by a bee on his big farewell.
0: This was the last show, the one we just covered, um, Redemption. You know, it ends with Punk like stepping outside on a hot summer night, like stepping outside into the parking lot. We can see him. it would have been hilarious if that's what he had to do on this night, and you just see like a swarm of bees and mosquitoes and things like chasing him immediately.
1: Yeah, I hope like he that. took a shower very quickly after that because it's got to be disgusting to have like just like Pepsi all up all over you. I've never been I've never been doused in soda before. <laughs> I mean, um, I know, I know, Gatorade is also sticky and sugary too. So I'm sure it's not brand new to sports champions, but it is for me. I am not a sports champion.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love the. You sounded almost embarrassed when you were saying it's not new to sports champions, but it is to me. I like that you were embarrassed that you are not knowledgeable about having sticky fluids. Sticky, sugary fluids. I think that sounded weird. Anyway. um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely have to make that distinction.
0: <laughs> Moving on. Um, Sapolsky toiled the torch. I can't describe the emotion in the building in Chicago. You had to be there. I'm not even going to attempt to put it in words, but... Um, There's someone that did attempt to put it into words and I want to really spotlight this because Matt, on this show, we read a lot of quotes from the newsletters. We read from the PW Insider. We read PW Torch. We read The Observer. And, you know, a lot of times they, – sometimes they say some really insightful things. I think lots of times we've made jokes – about sometimes these guys like Dave and Wade who were not watching every show and they would kind of sometimes talk about things and maybe not quite know the lay of the land the way people that were watching every show like us would and they were maybe talking a little bit out their ass occasionally. And we've made fun of J- D- Wade, I mean Dave, sometimes for even like, you know, comparing everything to WWE, like, oh, this has worked here, but it wouldn't work here. But I think what Dave says in the second half of this blurb I'm going to read it's probably – it's stunningly insightful and I think knowing how Punk – when Punk comes can't, comes back for the first dance in AEW and he goes – I was in that promo to reference this night and how that was a huge moment in his career because he knew he was leaving pro wrestling and it wouldn't be the same as this. I think Dave, 16 years ago when I read this, he basically puts that emotion to words I think before Punk even did. So I'm going to read this from Dave. Dave wrote – Punk's farewell was a pretty emotional deal with his family even in the ring. It was interesting watching it because you get mixed emotions – Ring and water will probably never be the big time. It is the number one transition promotion in the world, where talented guys can make names for themselves to get noticed by TNA, WWE, or Japan. Watching Punk's final match and his run as champion, the funny thing is, there is a very good chance he will never get such a filling period, uh, f- such a fulfilling period again in his career. He'll make more money, and he may or may not end up as, as a star. I suppose if ten years from now he main events WrestleMania and does what Benoit did, that will be wrong. Which again, well, that
1: Something very different now.
0: This was written in 2005. This means something different. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, going back, I, I, I suppose if it's 10 years from now he made event's resume and does what Benoit did, that will be wrong. But the odds are not good at all that that will ever happen. It was very reminiscent, now this is the part I'm talking about it was very reminiscent of the reality of a high school graduation. It's just a transition phase of your life. And most people end up doing more important things and making a lot more money or having kids later. But in many ways, there are aspects of it that still end up as a highlight of your life. And there is a good chance that night will be his career highlight. So much of wrestling is staged. But the best parts of wrestling are those moments that are real. And you can say what you want, but the ending of that show was one of those moments. But for the people who chant, please don't go, and I know these days it's a 100% term of respect and shows a much smarter audience than the selfish, you sold out chants of the 90s, as great and as fun as that stage of life is, if you're really good, you can't stay in high school forever. And I do think Dave does sum it up well about the, the emotion of this night is that feeling of like, I mean, I didn't necessarily – I got good grades, so I didn't love my school experience. But it is that emotion of that feeling of I'm moving on to some way bigger and better things in some ways. But you kind of have that wistful notion I, of people I know who did love the school experience of that idea of like I'm leaving something behind that it's – in some ways it's never going to be this good ever again. Yeah. And I think Punk again kind of admits that in, in AEW in that first promo.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, it wasn't high school, it was college that I have those feelings about. Um, Like, just, you know, even to this day, it's like, you know, you look back and, you know, you're wistful and you're like, you know, in a lot of ways, those were the best times in my life, even though there were things that, you know, improved about my life after that, you know. But just there's a simplicity to it and an innocence to it. And, um, you know, I think about that in the context of James Gibson, you know, we were talking about that earlier. Like, Obviously, this was a short period in James Gibson's career, much shorter than it was for Punk. But, you know, the respect that Gibson got and the level he was portrayed at and the freedom he got to work with, uh, you know, was never uh, duplicated at any other point in his career after this. And, you know, I'm sure he looks back on these, you know, eight months super fondly, um, just like, uh, you know, I'm sure, you know, we know now for sure Punk looks back on ROH very fondly.
0: I mean, even on the best of the world DVD, which came out, you know, well into his WWE career, he still calls this storyline like some of the most fun he's ever had in pro wrestling. Like gee, that's one of his favorite things. Was and again, we we've talked about especially on that sign of dishonor show. If you ever want to see CM Punk being happy and having the time of his life, that entire show you have never seen that guy be that happy. And um, yeah. So that brings us to the end of the show. But I guess before we should talk about the show, Matt. I guess. We should talk just about CM Punk because this is the biggest departure we've ever had to cover on through the years so far. I mean, obviously, we had to say goodbye to Paul London, you know, and there's been guys that have left temporarily and, and lower name guys that have left. But other than Joe, we are never going to cover another departure in our run of through the years that is as big as this one. And, yeah.
1: um, I mean, I, 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 oh, go on. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously everyone's talking about CM Punk these days. It's interesting because, like, for us, you know, like CM Punk coming back is like, well, for us he never left, right? Like, yeah, we've been covering, we've been watching his matches all the time for um, uh, years, for years, for four and a half years. I mean, I guess not since the very, very beginning, but pretty early on, we were talking about him every couple of weeks and watching his matches. And I think, you know, with CM Punk, the matches, like, we're going to talk about like, what are CM Punk's best matches in ROH. Like, I think. The answers to that are super super obvious right like you got the the joe series obviously you got the uh the brawl at chicago with uh, the, the prophecy or whitmer and moff you got the the cage match with rave um a few of the matches with raven i mean really you know it's it's the with punk it wasn't the matches though right like punk's presence just elevated roh so much because he was this iconic wrestling character and this legendary wrestling promo that you just didn't get on the indies and i think if punk wasn't there you know that soul that you know that that star power all that stuff you know just ring of honor would have looked very different and it's going to be really interesting to watch roh going forward without a promo like that like there are other charismatic presences in roh obviously samoa joe first and foremost but there's no one there that can replace CM Punk as far as his character work his attention to detail his promos especially um his star quality um, there's just like ROH is going to be completely different in the period that we're about to watch because CM Punk was such an overwhelming presence
0: i yeah like we, you know i've said in the past on this show that i think the only guy that Ring of Honor could could not have survived without during the Feinstein scandal with Samoa Joe. I thought Joe was that important. Rewatching all of this, I kind of am adding Punk to that. I still think Joe was the most important, but honestly, you can make a strong case that up to this point in Ring of Honor history, no one was more important than Punk. Like, I still think it's Joe by a hair, but no one more no one in ring of honor wore more hats than punk you know as he would often point out that you know he was the first trainer of the school he was a part time color commentator for them he was their top one of their top stars and not only was he a very good wrestler for them he was their best guy on the mic he was the guy and their best angle and storyline guy and he was the guy that they always trusted when you when you look at his ring of honor career when they had to interact with like the big outside name like when steamboat comes in and he can't really work a match but he can work an angle they they put punk with him when foley comes in obviously foley did some stuff with a uh, samoa joe but when it came time to like do a couple promos where you're trading barbs back and forth it was punk they put him in with you know when raven came in you know a guy known for big promos and storylines you know it was punk they put him in with he was the guy they trusted with that stuff and I think Punk's biggest strength, like, Punk is a very good wrestler who is capable of having top level great matches if the setting is right, but he's not the best wrestler Ring of Honor would ever have. And they would get, they would be able to replace him in terms of wrestling. And Punk is a great mic guy, one of the, I think, one of the best mic workers of his generation. They would be able to find other guys that were good on the mic. And they'd even have, we know in 2006, they will have at least one more great storyline with the CZW feud. But the thing about Punk, the thing I think they could never replace that makes him so special is there's a lot of wrestlers that are great, but if you split them into kind of their component parts, you don't lose any much or anything. Like there are wrestlers who are great promo guys. If you just watch an hour of their promos, you'd be happy for that hour. Or if you just watch... A compilation tape of just their matches and not their storylines and promos you'd be happy with that i feel like to some degree you could with punk but i feel with punk more than pretty much any wrestler in ring of honor and more than maybe most wrestlers i can think of he is a guy that i think to really get the full effect from punk you have to follow the angle watch the promos and the matches because they all build off each other like he's a guy where it's more the whole picture than anything else and that's greater
1: the greater than the sum of his parts
0: yeah, and you were kind of touching on that with your thoughts, because like you were talking about you like you don't really think about matches with him, and I think the same way. Like most Ring of Honor guys, if you tell me like think of if you think about them, I will reel off like a list of five matches that immediately come to mind. With Punk, you know, I can think of the Joe matches, but even then, I think of it as the Joe trilogy. I think of like I think of Punk in terms of feuds. Like I think the Raven feud, the Ray feud, you know, the, the Summer prophecy, of Punk, yeah, the, the Summer of Punk, you know. The, the the Steamboat feud, like he's a guy where – in all of those feuds, if you go back and listen to Through the Years, you will find in all of those feuds, there were moments in those feuds or matches that did not hit. Certainly in stuff like the Raven feud, even the Jimmy Ray feud, things that – did, or even in the Summer of Punk, things that were not as good as the best moments. But Punk was the kind of guy where you almost always, by the end of the angle, if you've watched the entire ride, you felt it was worth it because it all – he was more than the sum of his parts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and the other thing is, when Punk first arrived in ROH, and like, you know, he, but he wasn't his full self until, you know, a few months in. But like, when he turned heel on Expect the Unexpected, Gabe gave him promo time on every single show, in ring promo time. And on some shows, he even gave him two separate in ring promos. Like, that, you could just tell how much Gabe was so happy to have that guy, the guy that he could trust to do that, to work the mic like that and get the live crowd going every single show for a long stretch of time like that's a big deal a lot of guys couldn't do that and um you know that's you know that's what cm punk brought to roh at first and he got better and better in the ring obviously um i mean he was having great matches in 2002 iwa you know even 2001 yeah. um so you know maybe part of it was w w roh not utilizing him in the ring well at the beginning but you know, he he still continued to get better, he, he finally, you know, he lived up to all the best ROH standards in the ring, obviously had arguably their best matches ever, so like, you know, even on that level, he clicked, um, yeah, super in, invaluable player for ROH, and you could tell that his, just his heart was all in it, you know, the fact that he's still talking about it to this day on national television just tells you, like, this was so special to him, and you know, there are other wrestlers that leave ROH. Um, there are other big farewells. Samoa Joe coming up in a couple of years. You know, you have Danielson eventually leave after years and years carrying the promotion. But, you know, you watch, if you don't remember this, Trevor, like, none of them react the way Punk does to leaving. Yeah, None of them. And um, you could just tell this was his heart and soul. And that's, you know, that means a lot.
0: Yeah, I think he threw, like, you know, everything of himself into this and you know there's a lot of things to say about punk good and bad personally and obviously one of the advantages of us being fans is we only get to see the good you know we just see the work we don't have to i can understand the people that you know i know there are some people listening to this show that have had bad personal experiences with cm punk i um and people that have had good ones and i i i, I you know i all i can speak to is what we see you know and his career you know was been a lot of fun to watch and it's helped ring of honor greatly and yeah and uh, again i'll i guess i'll just sum up with i think the thing that makes punk special is that ring of honor would never have someone i think that quite has had all they wouldn't you could get the different piecemeal the sk- the different skills punk brings to the table piecemeal one guy would have one element one of the other i don't think they would ever in the gay era ever again find one guy that had them all in such a package the way punk did agree and that was really important so that the end of the show matt uh punk the final chapter what do you think about the show uh, what did you think about as a show i thought it was a pretty good show i um i did not like the i liked one match a little more than you and liked one match a, little, a bit less than you but overall i thought this was a really good crowd obviously an unforgettable emotional moment in the main event and quite frankly I would put, like, every match on this show at at least three stars. I, I I think there was a lot of matches that were probably close to just three stars. But I think this is a show where, like, there's nothing even, like, average. I think everything's enjoyable. It's a fun night. There's a great tag match in the middle. That it, it's crazy. Like, I feel like that match gets forgotten because everyone just thinks of the show as the CM Punk thing. And maybe occasionally the night that people really turned on Matt Hardy. And it's like... That, those are the two things people for, they forget how great that tag matches. That's one of the great tag matches we've seen in Ring of Honor so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I agree that, but everything being three stars, I definitely don't think that Steel against Collier um, hit that. Low. Well,
0: okay, but that was so weird. I can't even yeah. rate that. match. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and I didn't love the tag team title match, um, but but you know, like I, I don't, I'm not going to quibble about star ratings. Like, I um, I thought this was like you know you know not elite tier in the ring, but like. Uh, overall a legendary show like a must-see roh show like it's just you know it does have great wrestling and big angles and a good crowd and and just like such a special final segment um which takes up about i would say over almost 50 minutes of the dvd um that this is you know this is one of the this is one of the legendary ones i um a very special very special show um that is uh worth watching if you're a fan of roh in this era and obviously if you're a fan of cm punk like just even the entrance alone on this uh is very special so like i um high recommend and um yeah it's crazy that we're now finally past this we we did it trevor we did the summer of punk in the summer of the summer of punk it is uh it is september 2nd and we are through it
0: it is kind of like i have to admit and i i think i've said this once before but there are certain huge moments that when you asked me, Hey, do you want to do a ring of honor podcast? I thought like, Oh, what if we ever get to this moment? And every time, and this is one of them. And anytime we get to a certain moment like that, I get this kind of wistful kind of like, I'm closing a chapter of like, you know, part of doing the show obviously is we're having, we're reliving kind of our twenties we We're you know, we're having fun, watch rewatching and talking about the wrestling that we really loved 15, 16 years ago. And Watch it whenever I watch something again, like this, and I go like we put it to bed, like we're done with this, it's like I'm sure I'll probably watch segments or matches like if I live long enough of this stuff again, but like I will probably never revisit it in totality the way I've done now it's like it's like there's almost this weird kind of like closing the a chapter of something like, oh, this is kind of the last goal we're gonna have with this.
1: Yeah, I mean we're about. I mean, there. 2005 has a lot of like new eras of ROH. Like ROH starts a new era pretty often. We're starting a new era, and yeah. then we're and then in September we're going to start another new era. Uh, you know, like there's you know, and then you know, you arguably there's going to be another new era that coming in early 2006. So you know, ROH, you know, I guess that's that's you know one of the quirks of the indies. You know, there's a lot of changeovers and punk leaving is one of the big ones.
0: So. If you want to contact us, uh, that would be through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H. Uh you want to contact us on Twitter, at Trevor Dame or at Mayor MGF, that's mine and Matt's. We have a thread on the ProWrestlingOnly.com plugs forum dedicated to the show. Um, next time on the show, it's crazy, the Summer of Punk is over. We will be covering the next show, Night of the Grudges 2. Um this show is not remembered fondly I'll say. I was and, there. <laughs> and uh Matt we're going to have to relive something that maybe we're going to make you relive this. <laughs> um some things go wrong maybe for James Gibson and, and Spanky on this night. Um Joe, Samoa Joe defends the Pure title in the main event in against Christopher Daniels and so maybe is what is one of the only times I think that the Pure title is def- is the main event and uh we say farewell to the carnage crew. So I'm sure that will be just as emotional. We will talk just as much about the carnage crew as we talked about punk on this show. So um, that does it until next time. Have a good time. Have a great time.